He's been licking his asshole for the last three straight hours. I submit to you that there is nothing there worth more than an hour's attention. And I should think that whatever he is attempting to dislodge is either gone for good or there to stay. Wouldn't you agree? going to be a special special Rennie Harlan Boxing Day action double feature with Harlan's Die Hard 2 and The Long Kiss Goodnight. And here with me is one of the great torchbearers of Action Meathead Twitter, it's the wonderful Chris Barreras. Hey, how's it going? Hi, thank you for having me. I um, I like oh, the Meathead Twitter thing has now become a, one of my uh, a, one of my labels, as it were. I mean, I you're I mean, I can thank Liam O'Donnell for, <laughs> yes. the, yeah, it's like, I mean, yes, I work out a lot, but I mean, I'm not the size of Liam or, or like our friend Andy Gorham, who is like a tree trunk with legs. He is. I was very surprised when, because uh, he does, because neither you or Andy um, particularly sound like meatheads. I call you meatheads, but I know you're not. Um, yeah. And when I first saw a Zoom image of Andy, I'm like, how tall are you? Jeez. <laughs> He's like, like six five or something like that, and his arms are like the size of my thighs. Yeah, but yet, pretty much. <laughs> when you talk to Andy, he's like the sweetest person on the planet. He, yeah, he is. He generally he's like is. a teddy bear. He you know is. what I mean? But but he's just the size of a house. Mm. Yes, I was very surprised about that because usually it's when we all interact. It's usually on Twitter, so it's unless you're posting photos or anything like that, you don't really get a sense of the size. And when I'm talking to Andy on Zoom, I'm like. Oh, you're actually a very large boy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, um, our mutual friend on Twitter, um, and Aaron Vargas. Mm. He's shockingly tall. Yes. I met him in person, and I'm like, I'm tall. I'm like six one, and he, he, like, he was over me, and I'm like, hey, man, like, shrink a little bit. No, it's, I'm always really surprised when a really tall guy is actually very good at action, which Aaron Vargas absolutely is. I mean, he posts the most incredible Superman stuff on, on online if you ever want to follow him. Oh, and also one of the nicest people I've ever met. He was at my wedding. He was a huge hit. Everybody loved him. <laughs> oh, excellent. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody was like, Hey, he's really cool. And I was like, yeah, I know you're like, that's my boy, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm watching him, because I didn't realize he was that that tall, but when you're watching him, I'm like, oh no, he can do the kid. So whenever, I always assume you have to be, just because uh, my family were, were gymnasts. Um, and so you did have to be kind of, to be a good gymnast, you can't be too tall because yeah. there's a lot of you, if you're flipping and stuff, then you're going to hurt yourself. You have to be kind of more compact. And so to find out that Aaron's like really tall, I'm like, but how do you not hurt yourself on a daily basis? <laughs> 
he's at least like six two. Oh my god, at yeah. least like six two. Mm. And yeah. then you like I look at him and I'm like, I don't like you as much because <laughs> I, I'm twenty. 20 plus are years older than him and mm. he's way more fit. And I'm like, mm. all right, Aaron, I, nah, nah, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, you do. I can ease up on that a little bit. <laughs> you're doing pretty well. Like I am not the fittest person, but I do go to the gym. I do try and take care of myself. Um, but then I see you like, you're like, oh my, oh my God, I can't keep up with friggin' Andy and um, Chris. I just can't. Andy and I made the joke this morning that mm. we, um, are the old guys at the gym who are in our forties, but mm. we try to lift like we're in our twenties until we realize, Oh my God, my back hurts. <laughs> yes. Cause I mean, at the time of recording, I'm almost 42. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. every morning I'm waking up going, okay, that's a new pain that I haven't had before. It's really interesting how they sneak up on you. And all of a sudden, like, I thought I could do, you know, um, whatever up and down things, but I'm fine. I'm like going, oh, the twinge in the back is back. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I'll start lifting weights and, like, I'll be sore. And my wife goes, babe, and you're not in your 20s anymore. I'm like, thank you. I know. <laughs> I got the memo. Trust yeah. me. Oh, my yeah. back is telling me that I'm not in my 20s anymore. Yeah, my, my knee is telling me I'm not in my 20s anymore. I do realize that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah so when i call you meathead it is with great affection because but i think it is because of liam o'donnell who started the whole thing and now it's not just action twitter it's action meathead twitter yep yep oh, we can thank liam for that yeah that is that is all all liam and we are here to talk to action movies um since this is the first time on the show and i know you love action but you're also a big star wars fan big video game big fantasy but what are some of your kind of go-to when you're in a mood action movies if you have hmm. any if i'm in an action mm. like just action um like oh just recently i watched like all three of the john wicks um yes. i i like more of the realistic stuff mm. but but then again like i grew up on all the 80s action stars you know all the Arnold mm. movies, all the Stallone movies, all the Van Dams, mm. and then like in the '90s, like I'd say, uh, probably one of my favorite action movies of all time is The Matrix. Yes, yeah. Um, like I could watch that movie every week and not get bored. You um, really could, actually, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I'm trying to think of just like what I've watched in the last oh, like six months, mm. and I threw on rapid fire. Um, when the anniversary hit, that is like oh the epitome of a '90s action classic to me. Um, but then again, I love like I'm a huge fan of martial arts movies, so like The Raid, like anything out of Jet Li, um, mm. all of Donnie Yen's movies. Like I think this year alone, I've watched um, A Raging Fire like three, four times. Oh yeah, that that sounds about right. No, me and my partner were just sort of looking at some trailers uh, that were, I think he was watching the 65 trailer again because it's Adam Driver, Adam Driver with possible time travel and dinosaurs. And my partner's just like going, well, that has my name written all over it. And It's um, so weird. And yet I'm like, okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> What's going on? Is it time travel? Is it what? And we were kind of speculating and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm 
definitely going to go see this weird odd thing. I don't, and, and that Adam Driver is suddenly in. Um, not that I'm surprised Adam Driver is doing action movies. I think he could do it very, very, he has proven he can do it well, but it's, I'm just like, this is a dopey also, movie and Adam Driver looks like he's in it. <laughs> also, oh, my wife was saying, she goes, I wish he would go into comedy again. Cause yeah. he did this movie called, um, oh, this is where I'd leave you with uh, Tina Fey. Yeah. And Jason Bateman, and he's hysterical in it. Yeah, I, there's a movie coming out very soon. I think on Netflix called White Noise. It's another Neil Bombach movie. So, but it. Does, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it does look. He's. It's not. It doesn't look like a, a complete comedy, but he does look. It's kind of veering into it occasionally with him and Greta Gerwig. Which I'm like going, yes, please. <laughs> he's he's such an eclectic actor. Like he's he's, he's just all over the map. He really is, which is I think we're missing that a little bit. So it's kind of cool that I can, you can have. Um, well, Ryan Gosling does that all the time because he will be in Drive and then he'll be in The Nice Guys. So he does have that bit of eclectic kind of thing. Oh, my God. But, I could talk about The Nice Guys for hours. Oh, I could just quote it for hours. Oh, my God. Speaking of Shane Black, um, <laughs> the, the quotes. I have the a list. license to carry, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, oh my. God, I don't think that's... I can die. <laughs> just that movie. I could. I watch it like every year and it is. Just... It gets God, better. My favorite scene is in the elevator uh, when he's just slowly starting to shake. <laughs> yes. I'm like, Brian Gosling needs to do comedy. He really does. Cause he's got the dramatic pathos underneath. Um, and as we'll get into with long kiss, good night, there's a specific way that Shane Black's writes loses. That is the best ever. And that is what uh, Ryan Gosling brings to that movie as well as mm-hmm. his comic sensibility. Um, when he's sort of describing his job as a private detective, um, it is the most nonsensical, brilliant thing ever in a movie. And he's saying it with such a straight face, but I, I love the nice guys so, so much. Um, but yeah, no, give me Adam Driver going in a dopey dinosaur, different planet, possibly, I don't know whatever's going on with that. Then we're going through all the trailers that were coming out, like that's just been released and it was just running on YouTube. And then of course it gets to the John Wick for trailer and then me and dan just went oh hello and as soon as it gets to that part i think it's with donnie yen when they're having the sword and uh knife fight <laughs> that like i was already in on that movie because it's john wick and i love keanu yeah like i adore keanu reeves but then you you add in the mix oh clancy brown mm-hmm. who i've praised since highlander one yes as one uh, one of the most underrated actors ever then you add in Donnie Yen and um, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, no. And Haruki Sonata. Yes, yes. When he shows up, I was so excited. <laughs> I'm just like, take my money, please. Like yes. now. Like I showed my wife, oh, the first trailer. And she goes, is Donnie Yen in a John Wick movie? I'm like, yeah. She goes, are they making these only for you now? And I'm like, yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes. And it's awesome. <laughs> I know it's a it's a very specific sensibility that only I think a few people get, but the the John Wick movies make money, so it's not like it's it's an indie thing. But you're watching it going, this feels very specific to a few people that I know on Twitter that I just like, can I watch this trailer twenty more times to see it? <laughs> Man, that first trailer I must have saw probably like 20, 30 times. And, yeah. And then this last one, I'm like, is Scott where is Scott Adkins? Yes. Because I know Andy he's in this movie. Where is he? I was talking to Andy and he was saying, yes, I've been basically ignoring my family to watch the trailer 20 times to see if I can see Scott Atkins in it. <laughs> That's fair. It's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, so yeah. Um, it's just something about, and well, this whole episode is going to be about 90 action. Cause I don't think you can get more of a nineties action guy than Rennie Harlan. Um, no, he like, 
I was going through his filmography mm. um, when you asked me on. Yeah. And I was like, what else has Rennie Harlan done outside of the biggies? And I look, I was like, wait a minute. He did a Die Hard movie and Cliffhanger and Long Kiss Goodnight. And I was like, man, he had it like pigeonholed in the 90s. He was the guy for like huge spectacle action movies. Yeah, and the one thing that I love about 90s action movies is that you can have the sort of the more of the low to the ground ones that are so 90s, like Rapid Fire. Mm-hmm. That are just kind of balls to the wall, are just kind of everything sort of going on. And then you have the spectacle. Like this is probably 94 onwards when it just when it's all explosions. And that is Rennie Harlan's kind of the epitome of that. I mean, even Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a Shane Black movie, and his movies do tend to be spectacle, but they are also very low to the ground. And then Rennie Harlan's just like going, oh, we're just going to throw everything at it and see what happens. And mm-hmm. it kind of gives it a very different tone to a lot of diff- to a lot of Shane Black movies, as we'll sort of get into. Because I was sort of looking at him and what he'd done, because I'm much more, I love horror. So, of course, I know the fact that he directed one of his first American movies was um, Elm Street 4. Which, which is, is a great movie. And then I'm sure you've seen it, the... Um... And the Never Sleep Again. Yes, yes, I have. You know, yeah. The documentary yeah. where he where oh he says that he had all these plans in his head, and then they're like, we can't afford that. Yes, and that's why. And the martial arts scene is just like shadow boxing. Yeah, and I'm like, this makes so much more sense now, and it made me love the movie even more because I was like, he did all that with like no money. Yeah, because they were taking away money on the shoot as well. So it wasn't like yeah. um he was like, "Oh, this is the budget." It's like, "Oh, I thought I had more." No, they were literally taking money off him as if they were shooting. So he was having to do a lot of things on the fly. And it's kind of interesting to see what he can do with and this and Elm Street 4 is such an imaginative movie. It's got so mm-hmm. much going on. Mm-hmm. And then when you see him get money, you see what he can really do and it's yeah, so we might as well just get into it because it could be Die Hard 2 and then um, Long Kiss Goodnight. And uh, so, yeah, as I like to imagine, the curtains are opening. Chris, what is going to be your trailer for Die Hard 2? Okay, so this might be a little, like, on the nose, but oh, my trailer that I picked is The Hangover 2. I want to see you oh. Your hair is gone. No. Oh. I'm scared. Come on, get up. We got a situation. Holy. Where are we? You're going to freak out, but it's going to be okay. What's is it my teeth? This is a real tattoo! Alan, what did you do? Did you root me, me? I didn't do anything. No! Ah! Oh, jeez. Ah! What's a monkey? Where are you guys? I don't know. We woke up in some city. They've been looking for him all morning. I can't believe this is happening again. Flora's little brother, he's lost. We're not going back without Teddy. <laughs> we love to party. All I wanted was a bachelor brunch. Ciao. What are you doing here? What is my plus one? We had a sick night, bitches. Whoa. <laughs> Check your pockets. There might be clues. Chiang Mai Monastery. I don't remember any of this. And the reason I chose it is because I'm a huge fan of Die Hard 2. But it's literally almost a remake of the first movie in an all-new setting. He even has a line of dialogue where he goes, how can the same shit happen, you know? To the same guy twice, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so Hangover 2 
is that exact same movie. It is a remake of the first one in mm. an all new setting, but just just a lot larger. And that mm. is all of Die Hard 2. It's the first one cranked to 11. Yes. On like every action set piece has more squibs, has more explosions, has more one-liners, has more comedy. Like everything is ramped up. And so I thought oh, that the Hangover 2 fit. It really does because that is what the Hangover 2 is. That's the one where they're in Thailand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So instead of um, Ed Helm losing a tooth, he's now got a weird uh, uh, tattoo that's based on um, that boxer who, Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blanking as I usually do. He's got that tattoo on his face. Um, and it's this, yeah, and they're even going, how did this happen again? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we lost him so, again. Yeah. We lost Doug again. <laughs> oh, wait, do they lose Doug or is that the third one? I think they're all blending into one for me. <laughs> no, so the second one is, oh, they lose Ed Helms's, um I was brother-in-law. That's it, yes. Because he's and, the one getting married, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but so. that is yeah, but that is a perfect trailer because I think that's what a lot of sequels do, especially when something is a surprise hit. Because I don't think anyone would have expected the moonlighting guy to be in the biggest action movie of 1988 or 1989. I think it's um, 88. 88, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, action was a very specific thing before then. Like it was the Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was a, uh, Sylvester Stallone's very buff, very very big. buff, very yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be Bruce Willis in a toupee talking about um, running around in um, uh, air conditioning shafts, going, "Yeah, come to the coast, we'll have a good time." I feel um, with, I mean, it, they had so many elements that just came and worked perfectly that the the script, I mean. D'Souza, every time he writes, which he did write, also was involved in Die Hard uh, 2. Every time he is, works on something, fe someone feels like someone is on, on cocaine. Uh, but Die Hard, the original Die Hard, and was probably because of McTiernan, just managed to get everything kind of perfectly aligned. And so, yeah, when they make Die Hard 2, um, it is, it, yeah, it is exactly... Um, from what and I remember, that, and yeah, it's exactly the same. Like, I don't well, this know. <laughs> Let's do it again. That's what I'm trying to get to. Sorry, my mind and, is blank. And I and I, I can't remember if this is true or if it's one of those things. I think I read, you know, or something like that, where I originally heard that this wasn't a diehard script. Mm. It was something else. Oh, that they turned into. Yeah. Oh, that a makes diehard movie. Much like a Hellraiser well, movie, yes. They just they yeah. Have to Where it's like yeah, because you know the whole idea of Die Hard, it kind of turned into a subgenre of action movies where it's like, like it would happen again. Oh, with Speed, you know, like in the nineties, mm. where it's yes. like, oh, it's this on a bus or this on a boat. There was oh the idea of let's take just an everyman and put him up against all these terrorists in a situation of, oh, that he can't win kind of thing. Yes. He has and to win just out of ingenuity as well as a strength, not like Commando when it's purely because Arnold Schwarzenegger is an unstoppable force. Like, yeah. yeah. And as, and, you know, oh, we'll talk about, I love Die Hard too, mm. but, but I think it's missing of oh, that everyman feel that was ever present in the first one like mm. i always say that like as the series it went on you know they got more and more outlandish and big yes and one of my problems especially with oh, the later sequels are oh, like four and five i like mm. four i'm a defender of four like it's mm. okay i 
I do not like five mm. because I was watching five and I'm thinking out to the eighties when I saw the first one and John McClane is this dude who just, he's having marriage problems. He flies out to visit his wife, shit hits the fan. And there's literally a scene in the first Die Hard. He thinks he's going to die. He's talking to Al on the radio. Oh, he's he like, is. Hey. Yes. Yeah. You know, he's bleeding out in his feet. And he's like, hey, man, look, after this is all over, please find my wife and just let her know. And, and he starts crying and he goes mm. that I'm sorry for everything. I did what I could kind of thing where he thinks he's not going to make it out of this situation. No, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And then you get in the second one and he's in an ejector seat out of a C-130, like flying up in the air. And I'm like, it's the same character, but he's starting to lose that to where like in part four, he jumps a taxi cab at a helicopter. And I'm like, he's not an everyman anymore. He's a superhero. No, I mean, in three, they try to bring it back. Like um... a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and that's but, why I prefer three to two, but I yeah. still love two. Oh, no. Uh, every time we watch Die Hard, um, usually at Christmas Eve, me and my partner will just be home late. And before, whenever I'm watching, the next movie will ultimately be be Die Hard. And then Dan's like, let's watch, uh, let's watch Die Hard 3. He's like, we're, we're not going to stay awake for this. Okay, we'll just watch. So I've seen the beginning of <laughs> with a Vengeance so often. <laughs> and then we end up falling asleep because it's like one o'clock in the morning. Um, it's such a great opening, time. though. It is it's such a great opening for yeah. three. Yeah, but they do try and bring back that um, vulnerability of, of McLean. He's, yeah, he's, where he's slightly yeah. overweight. He's a drunk. He's sweating all the time. Like, he's so sweaty in part three. Oh, my God. So sweaty in part three. Um, but, yeah, but I love the fact that you chose the Hangover 2 for that exact reason. It's just like Hangover was such a surprise hit. No one expected this to blow up the way it did. It was just like this dumb kind of comedy. Then all of a sudden, Bradley Cooper is the movie star. Zach Galifant, everyone knows his name. It's all this kind of things working together. And then they said, okay, let's just, just, let's just do it again. Like, we've, we can make money off this. People really, really love this idea. Let's just do it. And so I think that is absolutely the perfect trailer. And very similar, like, yes. with Hangover 3, oh, they tried to make something, like, like a little different. And, yeah. And, and, oh, they did that on Die Hard 3 as well. They did, yes. Like, like we have huh. to mix up the formula. And um, I never realized that, do the Hangover and Die Hard are quite similar in terms of franchises. <laughs> Actually, they really are. Holy cow. Because <laughs> it's a very specific premise. I mean, one you forget the night before, the other one you're stuck in a place with terrorists so um yeah yeah you're absolutely or actually thieves who are pretending to be terrorists (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of both things happening and this movie yeah die hard 2 does that at the same time okay so i'm gonna go for a movie i haven't seen in years i don't think you've seen this one um i mentioned it before but i'm gonna go for a 1970 movie the one considered one of the first uh disaster movies which were the action movies of the 70s and that is airplane uh i have not seen this I'd like to find out if my husband's on that flight. His name's Dio Guerrero. They have an explosive device, an attaché-type briefcase. But how do we know the man is not just an ordinary eccentric? He'll blow out a hunk of the fuselage right here. He'll get sucked out, won't he? I'm someone anybody sitting next to him. There's no mistake. He's in 23A. What amount of policy were you considering, Mr. Guerrero? Uh, 150,000. <laughs> Carlos Center is Global 2. We have a problem here. Request clearance back to Lincoln at a lower altitude. I made a Kwanzaa. Glad you do.
Guerrero, listen. They know about you on the ground. You'll kill yourself or nothing if you explode that bomb. Give me the case. Grab him! He's got a bomb! This is actually, from memory, it's really cool. It's really dopey. Um, but what I love about action movie uh, disaster movies from the 70s is they just get everyone. I mean, this movie has Burt Lancaster, George Kennedy, Gene Seberg, Dean Martin, a few other people show up. But essentially, Whoa. yeah, I mean, when you get further into them and when you get like the towering inferno, it is just a who's who of all, just everyone. Yeah, um, or the Poseidon Adventures, another Poseidon one. Adventure, like, yeah. Man, this cast is stacked. Yeah, and this has kind of started it off. But essentially, Burt Lancaster is the um, Fred Dalton Thomas of, of Die Hard 2. He's kind of running the Chicago airport. There's a big snowstorm, and there's a guy who's threatening to blow up a, an airplane. But this is much more melodramatic. Like, you have affairs going on, all these things. And because there's such a stacked cast, everyone needs their own kind of plot. So there's like, which happens again in Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno and all those movies. Everyone kind of needs their own kind of A to B plot line. And this is kind of what what started it. It wasn't the exact movie that the spoof movie Airplane was taking off. I think that was called Zero Hour. Similar time, but very similar thing. And But this is kind of what this kind of thing is. It's kind of, but it's really just, it's kind of that very classic old Hollywood. And you can kind of see how action's really just starting to ramp up. And at the moment they're using, okay, let's just use actors people know. It's like uh, what they're doing today with uh, the MCU. Every bit of casting has to be someone you already know. They're not introducing gotcha. characters. They're not introducing actors like they did, say, with Chris, Chris Hemsworth playing Thor. They are already using people you already know. It's like, oh, Charlize Theron is finally the MCU. Well, they would, yeah, Paul Newman is now in a disaster movie. It's kind of all that very similar thing. So um, I think this will be kind of a cool trailer to show in front of Die Hard 2 as hell now so i'm gonna see if i can hunt that down i don't know if it's streaming anywhere it but should, yeah i think it's still relatively easy to get even just a rental so um but yeah it's it's a really really kind of fun um fun movie every time i look it up it's always like airplane i'm like no 198 i'm like no i want the i want the serious one <laughs> see because every time i think of airplane i think or airports of the yeah. leslie yeah you know like the leslie nielsen like oh surely uh, Oh, you can't be serious. Oh, yes, I am. Yes, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> yeah, don't call me Shirley. Uh, and, it, like, or like the sweating thing, or like, you know, oh, when the nuns start slapping everybody, like it's just all that kind of stuff. But this airplane sounds very different. It's very different. Sold. Yes. No, it, this does not have the line, oh, yes, I had lasagna, which as a line, I will constantly say over and over again when it, when it is never colorful. And with that, we are going to get in to Die Hard 2. Christmas Eve. Is there a cop on duty around here? Airport police. Go get him. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Washington, D.C. International Airport. What's this about? Oh, just a feeling I have. Ouch. When you get those feelings, insurance companies start to go bankrupt. The tower's lost control. Instrument landing system is down. Backup systems won't come up. We've got blizzard conditions. Zero visibility. Attention all controllers. We have a code red alert. There's panic in the air. This is a professional mercenary. You got the world's biggest drug dealer on his way here now. What do you need, a slide rule to figure this out? You get the hell out of my office before I throw you out of my damn airport. And terror on the ground. Who is this? Who I am is unimportant. What I want is very important. 
we are just up to our neck in terrorists again, John. But for police officer John McLean, when I'm right. It's just another Christmas. You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, this movie, we've already talked about it a little bit how it is pretty much the first movie done again. Um, though they do make it bigger. This isn't a building. This is a whole entire airport that jo- uh, John McClane is running around in. So he does interact with more people who are not terrorists. Um, so it's got a bigger, bigger, bigger cast and everything like that. And this, actually, we've got to talk about this cast. How good were 90s action casts back in, uh, I mean, seriously? <laughs> Dude, this one, I mean, as... Okay, I love Alan Rickman in the first one. Of course, he's one of the most iconic villains of all time. I think, honestly, oh, that William Sadler in part two is very underrated, and he gets overshadowed by the fact he's not Hans Gruber. He's awesome in this. He's amazing, and I think I was trying to figure it out. I think because... And Naked Kung Fu! Naked Naked Kung Fu Fu at the start of the movie. That is the thing that you need to remember about this movie. This is a movie that gives us naked William Sadler, not a buddy double because you can see him in the goddamn mirror, and he's, he's jacked. He is so jacked. I don't think I've seen William. William Sadler is not an actor that comes to mind as jacked. And I love William Sadler. I will go out of my way to find other random William Sadler movies. Um, he is jacked. It is in just, I mean, his butt is like two walnuts. <laughs> dude, like he was doing squats for months prior to the filming of that movie. That dude is in shape. But he, also on his crew is John Leguizamo and Robert Patrick. I'm like, what? What is going on? The cast in this movie is insane. It is kind of just before everyone hits. This is obviously just filmed just before T2. This is obviously just before John uh, Leguizamo um, just starts getting, you know, more and bigger and bigger and bigger roles. And then you're just looking at it going, wait, is that Robert Pat? Holy shit, Robert Patrick's in this movie. And he's got a cheesy one-liner and it's awesome. A sitting duck. Yes. I mean, the cheesy one line, I mean, the cheesy one liners in this movie are insane because it is just like, right. We had a couple of good ones in, uh, in Die Hard. Now we need every character to have one. <laughs> every character has a cheesy one liner. Yeah. Even, uh, Neo, uh, uh, Franco Nero has a couple and I'm like, you go Franco Nero. <laughs> yeah. It's, Franco it- Nero is also in this movie, by the way, guys. I mean, he's playing another bad guy. I mean, this is kind of, yeah, Die Hard times five. It is taking it up to 11, 12. It is, yeah. I mean, oh, the subtitle is Die Harder. It is, which I kind of love. <laughs> I love it too because it shows what you are in for, which is it's Die Hard, but more. Yes. Like, it says it in the subtitle, where it's, guys, it's everything that you loved about the first one, but we're cranking this to 11. Everything is bigger. Everything is more of the first one. That is something I do love about the series as um, a whole. Like you've got Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Die Hard with a Vengeance, um, Live Free or Die Hard, A Good Day to Die Hard. I mean, I, I haven't still haven't seen 4 and 5 yet. I know you're a defender of 4, um, but definitely four, not 5. But the title four, is pretty fantastic. 4 is four solid. I think that it's hampered by the fact that the a theatrical cut is PG-13. Oh, uh, okay. And so that kind of holds it. You can still do great action on a PG-13, mm. but it's but it's but it's missing the uh like excuse me, like oh the blood and the gore. Yeah. 
of the first is, three. Yeah, One's not that, super bloody. Two is super. Bloody. I want to know uh, what Rennie Harlan was doing in the squib department where he's like, guys, everybody a thousand squibs. Yeah. Not just one, like a thousand. Cause the squib budget on this thing had to be like 10 times what the first one is. Everybody's getting shot to hell. It really is. Even when they're being pretended to be shot to hell, they somehow still have squibs. And I'm like, hang on a minute. So, <laughs> so those guys were getting, putting squibs on them to go into action, to pretend what, what is happening? <laughs> it's so bizarre, but yet, so that I think holds back for a little bit mm. and it's also missing like, you know, uh, John McClane is extremely liberal uh, with the F-bomb. Yes. And he doesn't say one in part four until the very end, but it's kind of, it's muffled. Yeah, this kind of makes sense because the, the Die Hard 4 was made in 2007 and that's when I kind of think this is just a year before um, Iron Man comes out, but this is kind of that time when all big movies had to be the four quadrant. Like you, it all had to be PG-13. Yeah. yeah. So back in- It's why like in four, like the yeah. co-star is Justin Long. Yes. Oh, the Apple guy. And it's yeah. like, it works, but at the same time, it's like, oh, it's missing that edge. Um, oh, part five is rated R, but I just, I remember I saw part five. It was one of the last movies I saw before I deployed to Afghanistan. And I was like, I think this is a sign. <laughs> I think this is a sign because it's just- it's missing the magic of the previous four movies. Yeah. And it, it, well, yeah, I think the thing is they've always been chasing that first Die Hard, which I think was one of those happy movie accidents. Now, it's a miracle when any movie, good or bad, gets made because making movies is really hard. But oh, with yeah. the original Die Hard, there's something magical that is happening where just everything kind of fits together. Um, it is, I mean, it's still every year we get the argument. Is it a Christmas movie? It's not a Christmas. It's just like, who cares? Just watch it when you want to watch it. Don't what don't watch it when you don't want to watch it. It's not a, not particularly a thing. Um, but there is a certain kind of thing. I mean, everything, I mean, the Johnson and Johnson in the first one, Alan Rickman, and this was his first movie role. I mean, he'd already been acting like on stage in, in, in Britain, but this is his, one of his first big movie roles. And he comes in just having more charisma than, Bruce he Willis. has that huge <laughs> dick energy through the entire movie. He really and does. You can't take his, and you can't take your eyes. He's so suave and charming. Yes. Like when he's talking to, um, um, is it, oh God, who's the head of Nakatomi? Oh, Tanaka, right? Oh, I think Tanaka. is his name. Yes. Tanaka. Yeah. Where he goes, he goes, uh, in the elevator. Oh, nice suit. You know, I have two myself. It's yeah. like, He's classic. He likes a good drink. He likes a good suit. Like he doesn't like to exude any anger or violence. Even when he shoots Tanaka, it's very calm. It's not like he's like, oh, oh, well, fuck you. He's just, okay, bam, done. Yes. And Mr. Tanaka will not be uh, joining us for the rest of his life. It is, it's so kind of so good. It's so good. And I don't think even as much as I love and I really do love Franco Nero. Um, if you've never seen Django, holy cow, that's the amazing Western. Um, and everything else he's sort of been in. Um, but also William Sadler, they had to have two of them to try and make up for the fact that they didn't have Hans Gruber. And the third, they're bringing goddamn Jeremy Irons to be his brother. Hans Gruber's, yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. even in two, there is like, oh, the reveal of John Amos is also a bad guy. So they needed, yes. oh, three bad guys. And then you also have the, a police chief who is Dennis Farina, who's also, he's not a bad guy, but he's an antagonist 
Yeah. Oh, to John McClane. So they even, needed all these people just to even at the Hans end. Gruber. Yeah. <laughs> McClane. Um, no, don't Dennis Brown. It's it's just and William and Atherton he, is back also. So it's like all, like all these antagonists are all up against McClane. Yes. And as much as I love all of them in this movie, they're still they're not fucking Hans Gruber. They're not. Um, but that kind of does bring a different joy. I mean, I really love William Atherton in this in this movie. Um, I think he is so fan- oh, that poor man. He just played He's the biggest. So dicks. sleazy in this movie. He is so sleazy. But I was sort of just watching it, and he's actually doing good reporting in this movie. I mean, he's being he, he is. He's he doing is. A- He's doing it for the wrong reasons. Like he's not doing it to actually let people know that something shitty is happening and there's a conspiracy. He's doing it for his own ego. He's doing it for his own ego in his career, even though I think it's actually really good reporting on what he's doing. He is doing all the steps he needs to do. He's actually finding evidence. He's kind of trying to put it into context. He's doing everything that a good reporter should do. But at the end of the day, he's doing it. He's for causing a panic at an airport. on Exactly. Christmas which is what you don't do. So I'm yeah. just sort of watching it going, wait, is Ad- William Atherton writing in this movie? And then he calls the panic about, oh, no, 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 he's still being a dick. That's okay. Um, yeah, I'm like, yeah. do we really need to be mean to, <laughs> to William Atherton? And then he gets stepped on by the old lady at the end, asshole, <laughs> and steps on him. I was like, oh, is that really needed? Yeah, no. kind of, yeah. But... Kinda, yeah, it is kind of <laughs> needed. But I was really loving him. I mean, I am going to, him and Ghostbusters is this man, there's dickless over here. And it's like, yes, is this true? Yes, this man has no the dick. man has no dick. I like, <laughs> You just quoted one of my favorite movies of all time where I was watching that uh, probably like a year ago, uh, before yeah. Afterlife, actually. Yeah. And I was quoting it as the movie was going, and my wife looks over. She goes, are you going to do this the entire movie? And I go, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. And she yeah, goes, okay. And then she brought it up to my mom like over Christmas, and she goes, so he, he can quote all the Ghostbusters, right? My mom goes, oh, yeah. She goes, he has since he was like 10. Yeah. Goes, oh, and I was like, yeah, this isn't a new thing, babe. Like, no. this is just something that I do. Yeah, this is just something that happens. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, yeah, but he's kind of that kind of character. And I was just kind of fascinated by it because in the first one, he is just such a dick. He's not doing good reporting. I mean, he's going to the kids to, to kind of try and get the kids' reaction on TV, which is letting. Oh, he's threatening the nanny with the portion. It's oh like my, he's an asshole. Such an asshole. But what he's doing is directly putting. Um, uh, what's her character's name? Bonabadelia. I'm blanking on her actual character name. Mrs. McLean. He's putting her and her husband directly in danger by what he's doing. And this one, he's actually, I'm like, no, this is actually solid reporting. I mean, yeah, maybe not. And then there's the that moment after, like, yeah. Oh, there's that moment after he gets tased and they bring him out, um, out of the bathroom stall where like, yeah. he sits in his chair and he kind of like, almost cries a little bit because it's like, oh, we're all going to fucking die right now, like on this plane. Yeah, so you kind of of feel sorry for him for a little bit, you know, but then you remember, I mean, it's William Atherton and he plays one of the great 80s dick bags. He does. He's such a douche. But that's kind of the thing. Is he doing all this to try and keep himself sane because he knows he's going to die? Like there's this kind of general thing on the plane where everyone's slowly starting to realize, hang on, something's not right. And when uh, Bonnie Bedelia sort of goes to the end, it's like, how much fuel do we have left? I mean, this was meant to be a five-hour flight. We're now on the air for seven. She's like, oh, no, we've, we've, you know, we've taken that into account. And it's kind of like, well, actually, yeah, but now yeah. we're getting to the Even that where... same stewardess, oh, she goes into yeah. the cockpit, you know, talks to the pilot and looks down and sees all the flashing lights and has like a, has like a flash on her face of, we're in trouble. Like, yeah. this is bad. Like, this yeah. is really bad. So, yeah. like, that is one thing that I like about, too, is that 
it could have been one of those sequels where there's no stakes, but there are stakes in this movie. Like, oh, the terrorists win at one point. They do. That scene with the plane crash is so... It's haunting. It's haunting. It's so freaking scary because he's... The, okay, so the terrorists are basically saying, okay, you want to fuck with us? We're going to show you what happens. And they direct a plane to go down with no lights. And the, and the airplane doesn't realize until it's too late. They're trying to pull up and it crashes. And funny enough, it does have Cole Meany from Con Air, which I'm just like, Jesus Christ. That was, <laughs> yeah. And he's using his actual accent, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, this is Star I think Trek people will forget. He's that Irish. He, yeah, he's Irish. But, and that's one of the things that, as I mentioned, in the first one, a John McClane feels like an everyman, like he feels human. Yeah. And in two, after that plane crash, he cries and they're back in the airport and he's he looks distraught. Like he's 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 lost. Like for the first time, our hero is lost. Yes. And it reminded me of that scene in the first one when they shoot Ellis. Yes. Where he's trying to talk to Hans Gruber and tell him, I don't know this motherfucker. Like, yeah. like look, I just met him tonight. Ellis, stop what you're doing. I know these guys, they're not playing around. You're like, they're going to kill you. And they do. And John McClane talks to Al Powell and tells him, Man, look, look, I tried everything. Like I did everything I could. And in that moment in two, he did everything he could. He literally, uh, he and was waving, you know, like all the lit fire. torches. On, torches. Yeah. And, yeah. He's, he's trying to do everything he can, but he's too small for that particular situation. So what he has to do to kind of go, all right, I need to, um, I'm only human. So I need now to become superhuman. And that's kind of the point where he becomes way super oh, the john mcclain that we see in the sequels yes that's when he i think that, that moment yeah. right there yeah because like even even um and trudeau's character uh who is fred thompson he walks up to him and he goes look oh, oh you did everything you could like he's trying to console mcclain and be like we don't blame you for this you hmm. did everything you could and then he tells him like hey just fyi And your wife's plane is going to run out of fuel in 90 minutes. Yeah. And so now there's even more stakes because, because this movie's shown it's not afraid to kill a whole plane of innocent bystanders. Mm. Like, what if what if this movie takes a hard right turn and they kill off Holly? Like, oh, there are stakes in this movie that I think at the time maybe I didn't see, but on this last rewatch, I was like, oh wow. I totally forgot oh, that John Mc... He loses. He actually yeah. loses. Yeah, and it is... I mean, for the movie, it's slightly inconsequential, but I do like the fact that Rennie Harlan shows there are... All people are on that plane. Kids, elderly, families, just... Oh, my... Yeah, like... The innocent victims who were just trying to get home for the holidays. It wasn't... It, yeah. It's he, right before the plane crashes where, like, the stewardess oh, tells that old lady, hey, you know, like, we're almost, like... Mm. Oh, we're similar to the subway, you know, like we're running late, you know, but everything's fine. Like, oh, she's talking to an elderly woman who then yeah. two minutes later explodes into a ball of fire. Yes. And it's like, well, damn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't realize that it's just Holly's plane that's up there. It's multiple planes. Like they have multiple. Um, this could be an absolute catastrophe of hundreds and hundreds of people because there are multiple planes trying to get in, in, into the to the Dulles um, airport. Um, and so, yeah, the really stakes are really, really huge. And it's done in this very realistic kind of terrifying way. I mean, a lot of other 
yes, we've seen a lot of action movies where things kind of blow up um, and there are multiple casualties, like, but you just don't see them. He gives you their faces before they die. And that is actually a really kind of thing. So you do kind of feel... This thing it's when he's Meany the... going, oh shit, as the plane nosedives into the ground. Yes, it is. It is a very human moment, which I think people, which I don't think people give Rennie Howland a lot of credit because this is a movie where the action starts at um, minute 13. I paused and I went, wow, they're having their first shootout and it's 13 minutes. It in. starts, it starts quick in this it one. Really I forgot. Does. Me too. I forgot because the first one takes so long to set up, you know. To the toes he lands at the, the airport. Dude, he's got to get into Nakatomi. He's got to realize have... the security. There's a lot of geography to set up. And this one, it's he's at the airport. He pisses off a cop. Boom, he finds bad guys with guns and he's shooting people. It is like so quick. It is so big. And they kill a lot of people in this movie. Oh, the Holy body count shit. is like three times what the first one was. Because the first one, you know, they oh, he kills all the terrorists. Yeah. Mm. Um, they had a Tanaka. And Ellis, and then uh, the FBI guys. Yes. To be fair, in the first Die Hard, the only person I feel sorry for is Tanaka. Ellis is one of my favorite characters in that movie, but he's playing with something he doesn't understand. Like he's hey. thinking, yeah, Bobby. Hey, John Boy. Hey, yeah. John Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's kind of, he thinks he can handle it. He's had too much cocaine. He's, he's, um, oh, he's coked out of his fucking mind in that movie. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, you kind of went, oh, yeah, you're, mm, you, I'm sad that you died, but you're kind of a dick. Um, Johnson and Johnson, they're kind of dicks. Um, everyone who dies except for Tanaka is kind of a dick. This one, it's, it's just everyone. It's, it's oh. very indiscriminate of who dies and who doesn't. Like the SWAT team gets killed, like in the airport hangar, yes. that whole plane full of guys. Yeah. Like, um, oh, the second plane full of like, like all the soldiers who are mercenaries dies. Like, yeah. they kill a lot of people. Yeah, because I actually forgot about the John Amos twist. So I was just sort of going along. He gets oh, yeah. it good. He gets it so good. I mean, the bad guys, their deaths are fantastic. But I actually forgot. So when you're sort of talking to that kid and all of a sudden he just slits his throat and everyone just laughs, I was like, the f- oh, shit, he's a bad guy. <laughs> I remember the he's first time I watched it, it going yeah. like, oh, shit. And it's such a good twist because – a moments or before a McLean and um, the other, like the tech guy from the airport are at the church yeah. and McLean's beat to shit. And he comes mm. up um, and the chief of police is giving him shit. And John Ashton's character goes, Hey, shut the fuck up. I'll leave McLean alone. And yeah. McLean goes, Oh, you're like, I thought you were an asshole. And he goes, Oh, I am, you know, but I'm your kind of asshole. Yeah. So you think that they have that common ground where it's like, okay, team up. And then two minutes later, it's like, oh, no, wait, he's a fucking bad guy also. You're like, oh, whoa. I love the moment when he starts shooting Dennis. God, I love Dennis Franz so much. I mean, he can just, anything he's in, he will sleaze up like 15%. And he does it with this movie. I don't know. He's And he's not even being particularly sleazy. He's just being an asshole. But the moment when John when John McClane shoots him with the with the machine gun that has the blanks and all of it was just pointing the, i'm like wait how is no one shooting mclean in this particular moment i mean no <laughs> one is i'm like guys guys he could have just a little situational control here yeah <laughs> but it's kind of it's a wonderful moment when he's just against the wall going i'm being shot no wait i haven't been shot and everyone's like wait he hasn't been shot oh those guns had blanks those aren't real you know, and then he goes guns. he goes like 
all police, you know, to the airport hangar, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, it's time to kick ass. And I'm like, you're damn right. You're going to go kick some ass. You and your airport police are going to take on special forces. I love it. And he is, because that's the because the moment he does not want anything to do with McLean, he does not believe him, he doesn't think he should be there. I do like he's a he's a minor celebrity now. Like people go, yeah, yeah, I know what happened with uh, what's this plaza? I know what that happened. that I did like. Where yeah. like uh, even when uh, um, um, uh, William Sadler's talking, he was like, oh, John McLean, you like the infamous cop, you know, they saved the Nakatomi hostages, and he talks about the fact that oh, he was on CNN or whatever, right? and I thought you were a little dry. And yeah. I'm like, oh, so McLean was actually like a celebrity. Yeah. You know, like after the first one, like, oh, hey, like this hero cop saved, you know, like the Nakatomi people or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, like I really like that. And then how, like, how we skipped over the fact uh, that Reginald and Vel Johnson, he returns his Al Pal eating a Twinkie. He does. He's got like three of them over his desk because it's one of the best introductions to a char- movie character forever. Is when you meet Al, he's going into the 7-Eleven and he's buying like, because his wife is pregnant. So he's just like buying like a whole bunch of like food. He's like holding them in his arms. And then when you see him in Die Hard 2, he's at his desk. It's really sunny. And his desk is just littered in Twinkies. <laughs> Like even even when John or he calls him out of the phone, oh take the Twinkie out of your mouth. And he goes, hey, hey, John, and it's like, oh, they're buddies. Yeah, that's what I love. Oh, he transferred I- to the LAPD and they're still friends. Yes, like I love that. I he's only in two scenes, but it's still like I, I'm so happy that he was brought back. Yes, I do. Is it, does he have the line of like, um, oh, when he goes off the insurance company's unhappy or something? Or am I misremembering? <laughs> um, oh, McLean says, um, oh, I got a hunch. Yeah. You know, and he goes, he goes, uh-oh. Oh, uh, when you yeah. get one of those hunches, you're know, like, all the insurance companies all go bankrupt. And I'm yes. like, yes. 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 <laughs> it is, yeah, it, they have that great, they still have, yeah, I loved how they've turned their rapport that they had in the first one, which is them getting to know each other, into just shorthand. Like, he knows he has a Twinkie in his mouth. Oh, I have a hunch. Oh, no, that's when the insurance companies go bankrupt. Like, they know each other. and Yeah, they the know, new- yeah, yeah. Yeah, and John McClane isn't, I mean, because you see it in three when everyone's had enough of his bullshit. It's like, okay, you, you're the typical 80s action cop. You keep going off the books. Things keep getting damaged. Probably people get hurt. You've kind of been relegated to the side a little bit by the time you get to three. And you know in between one and two, he's been pulling shit. It's, it's Yeah. It's kind of a thing that he does, um, which I kind of love. And you get that in between um, that and the the fact that uh, Holly and uh, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia – who's a can't do much in the situation. And when she was in one, she could kind of maneuver a little bit more because she had more room. Now she's Two, just she's literally it. stuck. At, yeah. Yeah. But the, her shorthand with William Atherton, he's like, when he's trying to sneak into first class and it's not happening. And he's like, well, I can't be in here because she's in here and I have a restraining order against her. She's like, that's okay. I won't punch you this time. But she ends up, I think, punching. Oh no, she gets him with the, um, with the uh, stunner. The taser um, from the, taser, yeah. the old lady. <laughs> So yeah, I like that William Atherton is going off on the stewardess about, and you know who I am, Bob. And they're like, "Sir, just sit down, right?" And he looks over, dude. He sees Holly, and he's like, "Look, I have a restraining order, right?" You know, blah 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 blah. And and like the stewardess walk over and go, "What did you do?" And she goes, "She goes, and I knocked out two of his teeth." And they're like, "Would you like some champagne?" Yes. (laughs) It's like yes. I just love her little face. I knocked out two of his teeth just with that one punch. Yeah. You know, at the end of the first one, so good. It's so good. It is. It is just delightful. And they're like, would you like some champagne? And just when 
because you can tell Hulk, she's figured out what's happening, that they're going to run out of fuel and they know, and she, even though she can't see it in the airport, she knows that he's causing a panic. So she's going to cut him off straight away, try and think of the situation. So she's kind of very aware of what is happening and she's kind of a lot, the way she's dealing with it is just to try and keep everything calm. With his William Atherton is panicking, so he's just trying to cause a panic. And I do love that dynamic in the in the in the plane. Even if I kind of wish Holly had more to do, but she's literally in the plane. So there's unless she's like somehow a pilot is going to take over something. There's nothing. And she that really also kind. I mean, yeah, uh, it sucks in the fact that she is underutilized in this movie. Yes, but at the same time she adds to what we were talking about oh, with the stakes yes where it's like if her plane crashes she's she's a major character and like yeah. the hero he like he rarely ever uh, loses his wife in movies yes like, like unless it's right at the beginning and you're steven seagal then your wife will die do not marry steven seagal in the 90s um yeah because <laughs> because like Oh, she'll get fridged immediately. Yes. Like this is, it's a returning character. And then, oh, for fans of the first one, like, you know, the first one, they have a troubled marriage. Like they're on their way out. And yeah. this one, immediately at the start of the movie, oh, she pages him, right? And they talk to each other on the phone and like, oh no, everything's fixed. Yeah, they're fine. They, they're, to, they're in a good place. Yeah. And so like, oh, having her in the plane is like, oh shit, this like it's a returning character who could die and it's not like like if they were on the outs again i'd be like guys really with this plot line i like i love the fact that are oh, they're in a happy marriage again yeah. everything's you know like all worked out since the first movie and the usual trick is with a sequel is to put the couple back into they were before when the first movie started and so you have to see them it's like ghostbusters 2 now i'm a bigger fan of I'm a bigger fan of most people with Ghostbusters too. Um, though I, I love Ghostbusters too, just, just because of Peter McNichol. Yes, he rules. Why? Why am I dripping with goo? goo. <laughs> um, oh my god, Peter McNichol in that movie is the best. Um, Are they but, up a vest side? <laughs> dripping with goo is the goo is the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> they have to break up Diane and Peter. Uh, they didn't have Why? to. Why? 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 I mean, okay, Peter Wagman would probably be a pain in the ass to live with, but it set up the fact that those two were together. And I don't understand. You didn't need to break them up to get so you could get them back together. You didn't have to do that, but that is kind of the staple of what happened. You um, started right at the beginning again and, and go forward because you want to see these two characters fall in love again. They're yeah. already in love. They're already married. They've got a good relationship. They're talking like a normal married couple. And it is... It's fine. And so, yeah, that stakes a thing. So it's not like John McClane is trying to repair a marriage as well as save her life. He's just trying to save her life because how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And like, even at the end of the movie, when everybody's safe, you know, she, him, she goes, how does this keep happening to us? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, oh, no shit. Like, and that's why... I never noticed it before, or maybe I did, but I just, you know, like it didn't make or the connection mm. is that this movie's very, it's meta. It's aware of what it is. Very much so. And like, even his line of dialogue were like, oh, we're up to our asses in terrorists again. Like even he sees it's ridiculous. And yes. he says, oh, how does the same shit happen? Oh, to the same guy twice. Mm. He's in... He's in on the joke at that point, 
and so is the audience. Yes. Like, oh, this movie, I think, is smarter than it gets a lot of credit for in the fact that Rennie Harlan knows, look, I won't be able to ever and top the first one mm. in terms of the impact that it had. Mm. But what I can do is I can flesh out the characters even more who we already know and love. I can bring in all these other characters and I can up the stakes and up the set pieces. Mm. Like the yes. big set pieces in the first one is, oh, the roof blowing up, you know, and John uh, so jumping was... off the roof and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. This has, there's the shootout in the second hangar where the mm -hmm. SWAT team gets wiped out. Yeah. Then there's a shootout at the church. And then there is a fight scene on the wing of a plane. Yes. So like everything is Rennie Harlan going, I'm not going to try to succeed and in topping are... the first one. I'm just going to go big. Yes. I think he's very aware of that. And this movie does go big, especially after... Um, I mean, yeah, it starts big, but after John McClane, that first plane crashes and he realizes, okay, this is going to get very serious and very, very bad, even worse than it is now. That's when he kind of turns superhuman. And that fight on the wing is insane. I mean, that whole final sequence, because um, I love the idea that these terrorists are there to try and break out um, Franco Nero's character, who is a, you're guessing it like a South, a South American dictator. Like he's like, he's been arrested. He's a drug runner. He's also a general. Some, there's some very dodgy stuff going on. And so just the way that he sort of gets out, okay, you got to read me this here, but the way that the ending of, when the plane is, a, is about to go off, they're about to escape. John can't let this happen. He's kind of knows he's going to get his butt kicked on the wing. He's not going to beat William, uh, William Sadler in a fight. Because so, as the audience knows at the start of the movie is William Sadler doing naked, oh, naked, naked Kung, Kung Fu. Yes. So he's got skills. He's got and skills. we know John McClane has a little bit of fighting skill. You know, like from the first one, he's, he's not going to be able, but he, he's not going to be able to take out Stuart because Stuart no. knows actual. Yes. Oh, legit tactics and he does he beats the shit out of mclean yeah he does and he kind of knows that so he knows he has to blow up the wing so that's what he's on there for he knows his i mean the one thing i love about john mclean is john mclean knows how to take a beating this isn't a man who's going to win every single fight so he has to use his intel he has to use intelligence to beat people he's fighting it's never about i mean even with hans gruber it's because he's got the gun tape to his back it's, yeah it is um, with this one. He knows he's gonna. Stuart's gonna beat his ass, so he knows he has to blow up the plane. So he, the only reason he's on that wing is to get the the engine. And oh my god, John John Amos's death! <laughs> woo woo! It's 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 red mist everywhere. It is. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, he's gonna go in the. Yep, yeah, he's he's in the engine. Yep, and you. He's excellent. in the engine. He's yeah. He's frappe. He's frappe. He's frappe. There's nothing left. So he knows he has to blow up the plane, and the way he does that is by letting Stuart beat the shit out of them kick him off and then um but and also actually no not just uh destroy the engine but the 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 gasoline it's just flowing out so he knows he knows that's the only way he's going to get them and when that fire shoots up it's like awesome it's like yes <laughs> and it's right after like oh he lets out the and yippee-ki-yay motherfucker and i'm like yes that you was brought that line back and it fucking works it's... it works in this one that's one of the problems that i have with the other sequels mm. is it feels every time like it's forced almost like okay do we have to throw this in there in the second one it feels like no he won he, yes like he he is going to win right here and he knows it so he's letting it out 
Yeah, he knows it. He knows he's finally got them and it does. And just everyone's look on their face when they know that the plane is about to explode, which again is kind of a just fitting for their death because they have blown up a plane. They are threatening to blow up planes or crash planes. And the fact that that is their death and it's such a spectacular um, explosion uh, maybe a little bit mitigated because the fact that uh, John McClane has just like ejaculated out of a goddamn plane with that it's exploding and you've got the whole famous shot of him just like twisting around and that kind of thing. But still amazing shot and that's why it shows up in every single goddamn trailer because it's an amazing shot. But that ending is fantastic. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then oh, the explosion allows all the rest of the planes to land. Yes. So John McClane has saved, what, eight planes yeah. packed with people on Christmas Eve? Like, he saved everybody. Yeah, because that that's the lighting so they can see actually where, the, where, the, where they're landing. And that is absolutely fantastic. So when everyone's getting off, it's like, oh, great. And when he's yelling for Holly and then she hears him and it's just... And also, like, to the everyman thing again, he's beat up at the end of this one. He is. He can like, barely walk. Yeah. Oh, when he's running to the plane, he falls. Like yeah. he's 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 beat to hell in this one. And that's one thing that I like about the first two is is McLean gets the shit kicked out of him. He does. He gets he gets shot, stabbed. Yeah. Like just whooped. And like in three, yeah, he gets beat up, but he never seems to Oh, like lose a step where it's like he pulls that piece of the wire out of his arm and like yeah. there's blood flowing out of his arm. He can still move his arm just fine. No, that's, like the, that's the thing. I think it's a, a symptom of what was going on in action during probably 95 because that's when you really get The Rock. That's when you get Con Air. That's when you get all these movies of kind of the everyman turns invincible um yep. kind of action yep. hero which i and i'm not dissing it because i love the rock i love Kanye, i love all those movies um who doesn't i, I mean the rock doesn't. is a classic for a reason exactly i think they were talking briefly on in the last uh action for everyone and they're sort of saying they didn't need that car chase in there but it's cool I'm like yeah but, that, that's that's exactly it <laughs> i'm um, only borrowing your humvee <laughs> God, I love when Sean Connery does action. It's just the best. He's just got the best one-liners. Um, it is, yeah. So, but in this time period, it's still the everyman, and they still have to use the ingenuity, and they are still human, and they are not going to be completely well when they finish. Um, it's and that's kind of what I like about this little pocket of thing. I mean, hits when they get hit, it means something. Um, and. I like that. I like the fact that you can just tell the man's barely standing. Um, Even like after the church fight, when he stabs that one yeah. dude with the icicle in the eye, yes. like when he hops over the fence, he falls. Yes. I love and John Amos's character goes, holy shit, McLean, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, he, he, he's freezing. He just got his ass beat by this yeah. highly trained soldier. He got fucked up. Yeah. And when he goes back to the airport and he's talking to the jet, I love the relationship with the janitor. They give each other so much shit. Um, like the, he's threatening to kill the jet. Jan the janitor is not a bad guy. Like I thought John McClane's threatening this guy a lot. Maybe he is going to be a bad guy. No, no, no. It's just John McClane's just like threatening to kill him every other five minutes for not. <laughs> it's, um, it's just how he talks to his friends. Um, but no, it's, yeah, he does. Uh, how about you give me 20 bucks for him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about I kill you? How about I kill you? Um, oh, the man knows how to bargain. It's like, yes. And then even at the end, oh, he shows up. Oh, it's just like Iwo Jima, you know. And he, you know, oh, he lets McLean and Holly on the cart, and they ride off, you like into the sunset. Yeah, it's. I love that character. He's 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 the one character that doesn't need to be there at all. Like nothing would change the movie if he wasn't in there. 
but I love him. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Everything else would be different. Like if you didn't have Dennis Franz, especially if you didn't have John Amos, if you really didn't have like Frank Renero or, um, or, uh, William Sadler, everything changes. He doesn't, he could just pull him out. Nothing changes. Even Fred Thompson is in like his small role. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. I love Fred Thompson in this. He's so, um, oh, he's so calm. And yeah. Oh, stack them, pack them, and rack them. Yeah. I'm like, okay. All right, Fred Thompson, I see what you're doing. Even like, oh, his assistant, um, is it Barnes? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. Where, where like, he's the smart guy. He's the reason, oh, they find the church. Yes. I, like, oh, God, I love that scene. I can't remember the shootout is. I think it's near the luggage rack again, but um, Barnes is there. And just the look on his face when he sees the violence that's happened around him. It's like he's shell-shocked. I mean, this is not a this is clearly not a man who's used to violence. This is the first time, or this extent of violence is the first time he's seeing it. And he plays it so well. He looks terrified. Yeah. He does. And like John McClane has to go, You're okay, you're okay. It's, everything's gonna be okay. And he's like, What the fuck just happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's um no, I mean the cast is bigger, it's kind of thing, it's got that in a great 90s cast. I mean, it, this movie just works like i'm just looking through the cast now and we've just sort of mentioned some of them but it's just insane i mean uh von D. curtis hall is in this he's playing another henchman um with a great one-liner um oh he's great in it man oh my god robert costanzo is in it as the cop that um mclean is annoying the hell out of and you find out that he's dennis Fran's brother at the end it is um, Mark Boone Jr. isn't it? I think he's in, I can't remember who he's in, but apparently he's in there as well. I'm just looking at the cast list going, holy yeah, hell, same. this cast. It's it stacked. Is... It, it, it is really stacked. And John Leguizamo doesn't even have a line. No, that's why I had to but go I back. I saw him. Yeah, yeah I saw him. I was like, that's John Leguizamo. It's like when if you're watching, you ever watch this movie from 1973 called The Long Goodbye, and it's one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first film roles. He doesn't speak in it, but he's yep. there because he's freaking yeah, giant. And you're yeah. just like, holy shit. Yeah, it's like that. You're just like, is that John? That is, yeah, because you do see him. He's full-faced. He's looking at someone, and it's like, oh, yeah, that, that is him. <laughs> he grabs an MP5. Yes. Yep. It is, I mean, this movie is, yeah, it doesn't work as well as the first one. It's kind of got the messiness that I've always associated with Rennie Harlan a little bit. Um, though watching uh, Cliffhang a few days ago, I think that's all by design, and Okay, I don't know if it's because he's finished, but he does have a thing with stabbing people with ice, especially the murder and cliffhanger when he lifts up the guy into the static tight. <laughs> it's just when like- I think of Rennie Harlan, and I don't mean this in a negative light, yeah. so I'm hoping other your listeners aren't like, I never want to hear Chris on the podcast again. He is oh, the epitome of excess. This this is what I was thinking. He is the epitome of excess. And we're going to get into Long Kiss Goodnight, which I think is much more structures, structurally strongest movie um mainly because i think he's working with a uh, shane black script which is very because it's so dialogue heavy he has to work with it a little bit more it's not short sharp one-liners um but yeah he is the epitome of excess you but i think it works in most of his movies Mm. it works he's really good at looking at a landscape and going oh i'm using ice okay how many ways can i kill people with snow and ice done and this happens in Die Hard 2 it definitely happens in Cliffhanger that was what Cliffhanger is it's like I'm in the mountains it's cold even though Sylvester Stallone is wearing a t-shirt for like 40% of it I'm like dude you don't that's the dumbest thing that bugged me about this movie I'm like Sylvester put on a cardigan <laughs> it's 
<laughs> I realize like, you're a superhero, but put on a cardigan, please. <laughs> but like, so I'm looking over Oh Harlan's like his filmography, and he's been stuck like in not stuck. Yeah, but he he's worked in the DTV genre now for quite some time. Yes. But prior to that, he did Cliffhanger and Deep Blue Sea yeah. and Long Kiss Goodnight and Cutthroat Island, all yeah. within the span of only five years. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a relatively short run, but it was a big run. And these are all movies that are known for their excess, especially Cutthroat Island, which is considered like a, a huge bomb because of the fact that it costs so much money but yeah that's what he does he makes these very big grandiose um movies that are all about excess and it's just brim it's overflowing with with action um and i guess within that is there anything else you want to say about die hard 2 before we move on to long kiss good night other than the fact that i think it gets unfairly overlooked when looking at the franchise yeah um which i'm guilty of myself like i always go like a one and three are yes. my go-tos for diehards. Mm. But after oh, this last rewatch, I was like, this movie's very underrated. It is. I mean, I think it does get a bad rap because as we've said, it's literally the first one again. It's not. But all the action is extremely well shot. It, it doesn't go overboard on the slow-mo, like only added the effects. There is literally a chase scene on a, on a snow ski. Yes. Like, it has everything that you could want in a nineties action movie or, mm. and, and it just takes everything that worked in the first one. and just goes a lot bigger. As we said, a Rennie Harlan is the king of excess. That is, or the epitome of die hard Two. It says it in the subtitle, die, die harder. harder, die harder. Yeah, it, it is. is access to the extreme. And after this last rewatch, I was like, you know what? On Letterboxd, I rated this too low because I had a great time with this movie. It is. It's a really fun movie. It is, it's always going to keep you entertained. There's there's no point in this movie where you're like going, oh, it's sagging a little bit because he's constantly throwing something at you that's interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it also, the action, there's different kinds of action in it as well. It's not just the sort of the same action, which I think is uh, really smart, especially when you're dealing with something this big and this excessive that the action can kind of mold into one a little bit sometimes with some movies. This doesn't. You've got different kinds of fist fights, different kinds of the fact that Sadler knows uh, martial arts, the fact that um, it's all very well paced and all very kind of structured out, uh, even though yep. it does feel like it's bleeding into one another and there's a lot of it. So, no, I think I think you're right. I think it's definitely underrated. Yep. And with that, we're going to get into the long kiss goodnight. Uh, a yes. movie that has grown on me so much over the years. I mean, oh, my God, this this movie. Um, as I like to imagine, the curtains are opening. And, Chris, what is going to be your trailer for Long Kiss Goodnight? So, oh, you helped me on this one, actually. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't think of one. I was trying to think of one. I was trying to be clever. Mm. And evidently, I'm not that clever. Um, so I'm actually going to steal a, one of your ideas and mm. go oh, with Air Force One. Get off my plane. <laughs> Wait. Air Force One, clear for takeoff. Thank you for your hospitality, Moscow. Where's my family? The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. What do they want? They want General Raddock released from prison. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. What are our airborne scenarios? 
There are no airborne scenarios. My husband will not negotiate. His wife, his daughter, I think he'll negotiate. How the hell did this happen? How the hell did they get Air Force One? Your national security advisor has been executed. He just bought you another half hour. Sir, your parachute. I'm not leaving without my family. You know who I am? I'm the president of the United States. Jim isn't making this decision as a president. He's making it as a husband and a father. Go! Let's not forget this president is a Medal of Honor winner. He knows how to fight. He has no right to take chances with his life. I mean, oh, full disclosure, oh. Oh, Harrison Ford is oh, my favorite actor of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will see anything that he's in as evidence in the fact that I saw a six days and seven nights opening day in the theater. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> so that's how much of a fan I am of that one. Yep. But it, 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 it's also it's a 90s action movie mm. with an absurd plot which is Gary Oldman is a Russian who takes over Air Force One and Harrison Ford, who's the president of the United States, is like, not today, Junior. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I love about this movie is Harrison Ford's already playing old in 1995. Like, he's already... <laughs> he's been old since the 90s, and yet he's still going. Still That's going. what I love about Harrison Ford. He's, he's oh, going also... an action movie very soon, and I was watching the trailer again going, oh, yeah, they would have had to use body doubles because he's not running on a moving train. I just watched... So I got all the Indiana Jones movies in 4K on Black Friday. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And and so I watch, oh, watch, oh the last... Cru- or, or not the last crusade. Oh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, yes. Which I'm a defender of. Yeah, I'm a slight defender. I don't... Yeah, I think it's better than people give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that could be a whole nother podcast that we could, could do be. is, yeah. you know, just on the indie movies. But there's a moment where he's walking into the jail with Shia LaBeouf and he's yeah. walking like an old man. And I'm like, he was walking like an old man 20 years ago. He was. I mean, uh, he... like, how, like, how is he going to do Indy 5, which I can't wait for. Oh, but I at can't the same wait time, But at the same time, like I, like I watched all four of the indie movies in a row mm. and like you see him aging. And then I'm such a Star Wars nut, obviously, that I'm thinking out of the sequels when he pops up and I'm like, he's been old since I was in high school. Me too. I mean, you got to remember, he was not 21 like Carrie Fisher was when he did Star Wars. I think he was like late 20s, early 30s. He was like 27, 28, I think. Yeah. Um. So he's not, he was not considered, he was on the actor side when you're doing the roles he was playing. He's not young, young. He was actually relatively old when he got into acting. Um, or considered old by Hollywood standards. He was like mid-20s. And you can definitely tell that if you watch American Graffiti because he looks like he's about 10 years older than everyone else. I think that's just how he's always looked. But still, um, it is... Oh, but then you watch him in Air Force One and like this movie's it is t- it is tight. It is Wolfgang Peterson, who was a very good director. It is very tight. R.I.P. R.I.P. He, like, yep. He's very underrated, I think. But also... Oh, this is in the 90s. They had the balls to cast a oh, Glenn Close as the vice president. Yes. Which now is commonplace, obviously. Yeah. You know. Mm. But it wasn't done back then. It was you never No. Uh, and even and then, then I think it would have been considered a novelty. It would have been, oh look, we'll hire Glenn Close because she's Glenn Close. But um it would have been considered a movie novelty at the time. Like uh, yeah, like, like oh, president in twenty four. That was considered a novelty. Oh, that would never happen. And no. now it's like um 
you know, like for your listeners, uh, I, I live in the U S our vice president is a female. Mm. So it's like, but, but then like in the trailer of air force one, like you see, there's that iconic line that is open reference that a million times and get off my plane. Yeah. And, and, and it can only be a delivered oh, by Harrison Ford in that gruff Harrison Ford voice. Yes. The man knows how to throw a punch. Um, that, oh my God. I was just talking to my wife as we were watching the Indiana Jones movies. She'd come in and out and be like, that's more Indiana Jones, huh? And I'm yeah. like, babe, just trust me. All right. Yeah. I mean, this is my childhood. He can throw a haymaker. He puts every ounce of his weight into a punch. He does. And even and though he can I, still pull it off, like in Blade Runner 2049, he cracks Ryan Gosling across the mouth. He really does. There's a kind of a thing that I've never considered. Yes, Harrison Ford has done a lot of action movies. I've never considered him an action actor. I don't know why. I think I've always considered more adventure because I grew up with him with Star Wars and uh, Indy, which I've considered more adventure than straight action just a weird distinction in my head which i don't think completely is accurate but that's just how i've seen him so but but i think it's kind of accurate because Mm. he like when you think of action movies you think of the terminators or like all the seagulls movies stuff like that like i can't see harrison ford in one of those movies but when he does action like in the anna jones movies Mm. or air force one or Blade Runner, or mm. even Star Wars, or um, or The Fugitive. And he's so he's done a lot. He's but... done a lot, but he's not an action star. No. Even though, like, um, oh, back when um, Action for Everyone, oh, was Atkins Undisputed, mm. and oh, him and Scott Atkins did like all the greatest action stars of all time. Oh, they talked about Harrison Ford as an action star because. A Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the most excellent action films of all time, if not at the top. Yes. So he is an action star. He's just not like your typical action star, even though like in Temple of Doom, Harrison Ford is jacked. He is. He, he really so is. Yeah. He's always been when he's jacked. I mean, that first silhouette of him in Raiders of the Lost Ark is iconic because the man is jacked. Uh-huh. Handsome too. Very. Oh my God. So handsome. Just like the Ooh. handsomest man who ever possessed. Um, like but, you even said it out loud to my wife because she was like in the bathroom area or whatever. And I was like, babe, Harrison Ford, hot. And she goes, oh my God. And I'm like, he is. He's sexy. I, I'm sorry. It, there's a moment. It was actually quite late. I was rewatching Blade Runner with my partner. And I think I was like in my thirties. And I just went, wait, Harrison Ford's hot. Because I've always had Harrison Ford in my life. But I remember him in high school when he was an old man. Um, mm-hmm. and I think I must have disconnected some of his earlier movies. I'm sitting there watching it, Blade Runner going, damn, Harrison Ford. <laughs> He's got it going on. He's got it going on. He is very, very hot. And, and that is kind of what he is. And you're right. I, I think he is an action star, but what I love is his action doesn't tend to be very, except except for, say, Raiders, which is one of the greatest action movies of all time. And, and some of the action, and the action in friggin' Temple of Doom is, the, oh my God. But I've always sort of seen him as the brawler. Mm-hmm. Like in The Fugitive, that fight on the rooftop he has with, I uh, can't remember the actor's name, but with the bad guy in, in The Fugitive, they are fighting like two old men don't know how, who don't necessarily know exactly. how to fight. Which works and for the And that works for the, mm-hmm, thank but you. that's how thank I see you. him. So I was going to say the exact same <laughs> thing is, they are heart surgeons. Yes. They don't know how to fight. No. And he's just kind of like throwing them around. Yeah, they're just like throwing each other around and kind of slapping each other and it, it's i've heard people say that's a criticism of the movie but i'm like these guys are heart surgeons they don't know how to 
throw a punch. These are not men who are trained in any sort of way. They've lived very privileged, wealthy, hard work, because you're a surgeon, you work goddamn long hours, but their hands are not for fighting. They are for cutting and for stitching. It's a very different kind of... Um, way of using skill your set. hands skill set and the yeah. fact that they are just slapping each other like I and just, then I also yeah also oh to tie into harrison ford is an action movie he did oh two of the tom clancy movies yes which uh oh i never think of those as action movies but they are actually they're movies. more action thrillers yes. like at yes. the end of clear and prison danger yeah danger, he, he he has a fist fight with sean bean on a speedboat yeah i forgot about like he can throw down in movies and in air force one if memory serves because i haven't seen it in a while i believe he's former military who went into congress and then was elected president so it it makes sense he knows how to handle firearms he knows how to fight so when he takes on these terrorists he beats their ass he gets oh he gets hurt as well but it makes sense that he's not just like He's a uh, he's a very kind of jumble clean figure. Yes, he is the president, but he's actually had combat training. He knows. Yeah, yeah. He actually knows knows what he's doing, which is a weird thing with movies. Um, I don't know if it was because if, if it was purely because of um Bill Pullman in uh, Independence, Independence Day. Day. I, you know what's funny is me and you are on the same page because I was thinking of him as well. Yeah, it's just like I don't know if that's it, but there's this weird thing in the '90s that the fantasy presidents had were ex-military. They are kind of one with the people a little bit more because they were in the military. Therefore they kind of have these kind of extra set of skills that other, which no, I mean, has there ever, except for maybe Ulysses Grant, has there actually ever been a president who's actually gone to war? (laughs) They, they don't. Well, I mean, politicians mostly. (laughs) I mean, I'm former military and there is an unknown statistic to the public. Yeah. That, um, when I heard it, I was like, no, that can't be real. And yeah. then I served, you know, for almost seven years. I was like, oh, no, that's real. That a 1% of the population ever serves. Yes. Of the U.S. Mm. Of the U.S. population. And only a 1% of that 1% ever see combat. Yes. There are soldiers who I have served with in various units who have never seen combat, and they've been in the military over 10 years. Because there's so much other things. Mil- the military force is not, is its own big ecosystem. It's, ju- it's not yeah. just only combat arms. Like, yeah. like, I laugh about it now because I didn't know at the time. But when I went to see a recruiter, he made it seem like he was always in the shit. He was an accountant. <laughs> because the military has their own accountants. Oh, yeah. there was literally a job... In- in the U.S. military, and for everyone outside the U.S., I was strap in. There is a laundry service job. Of course, there would be. Where I mean, you serve yeah. in the military and you just do laundry. Yeah, but yet you are in the military. No, that is that makes absolutely perfect sense because for each job there it is does design, now there is a corresponding at the time hmm. like. There's all these military movies where they always show people getting shot at, but then oh, you don't see. Oh, behind the scenes where, oh, there's a supply guy and he's never seen combat because he's stuck behind a cage and he's just handing you like all your uniforms. Yeah. So, but, but to get on track again for Air Force One, that's why I like that movie so much. Well, I mean, it's Harrison Ford. And how do you so, not love Harrison Ford? Yeah. Oh, like 
Oh, he could read the phone book in that angry voice. And I'd just be like, and here's $20 for my ticket. Yes. Take my money. Um, but no. he's taking on terrorists in Air Force One and beating up Gary Oldman. Yes. Who, who in real life, he punched accidentally so hard, he almost knocked out one of Gary Oldman's teeth. <laughs> because Harrison Ford has those haymakers and sometimes they just, do they go wide? A look at Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. He punched Ryan Gosling. Oh, the yeah. shot in the trailer of him punching him, he actually slugged Ryan Gosling in the face. Oh my God. That, yeah, I did hear that. I wasn't sure if it was true or not, but yeah, that that because that does look like an actual punch. So, I mean... So I thank you for the tip on that trailer because I wouldn't have thought of that one. And then as soon as you said it, I'm like, I really want to watch Air Force One. Though. I know, me too. Yeah, I was like, oh, I kind of watch Air Force One. So I might have to make time for it a few, with a few other things. Um, my trailer, I'm, well, I'm going to go for another Lady Kicks Ass movie. Um, and another movie that actually turned a non-action star into kind of an action star. But that is Kill Bill Volume 1. Um, oh, my God. Um, I love this movie. I guess they should have tried a little harder. So I suppose it's a little late for an apology, huh? You suppose correctly. Now it's kill or be killed. You have every right to want to get even. Get even? Even, Stephen? I would have to kill you. That'd be about square. And I choose kill. One tick to Tokyo, please. One way. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. No kidding, I heard it was kind of hard. Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Yeah. Any more subordinates for me to kill? Hi. Hmm. To the point where when I first saw Lady Snowblood, I kept expecting the sirens to happen and they didn't. Because <laughs> Lady Snowblood is a def- an absolute direct reference uh, to uh, Kill Bill Volume 1. This movie is uh, it's just fun. I don't know what it is, but it is just Uma Thurman just kicking the living and killing everyone she comes across in this movie. I mean, the whole scene in the, in the club with everyone is one of the greatest action things I've ever seen on film. And yeah, it is, it's just super fun. It's Tarantino doing his homage to the Shaw brothers and like seventies Kung Fu. Yes. And it works. I mean, he's got Sonny Chiba in the movie. He does. (laughs) And like it, it, it works on every level. I'm a giant fan of Kill Bill Volume One. Mm. Um, I love the soundtrack. I love all the homages. It starts with a Shaw scope. It does a production logo. Yeah, where like as soon as I sat down in the theater, I was going to see it regardless because it's Tarantino. Mm. And I remember when I sat down in the theater and that popped up, I was like, "Oh, baby, we're in for a ride right now." Yeah, this because- is my. This is my introduction to Shaw Brothers. I had never seen a Shaw Brothers movie. I didn't quite, I think I'd heard the name Sonny Chiba before, possibly from True Romance. Um, but this was the movie that made me want to go out and find what these movies were. Like, I had seen a couple Shaw Brothers movies mm. at the time, but I wouldn't consider myself like a fan like I am now, mm. where oh, because of action Twitter, like I found all these other movies. I was a fan of Sonny Chiba, of course, you know, because of Street Fighter mm. and Return of the Street Fighter. I mean, 
oh, those are classics for a reason. Yes. But seeing him very good, I'm like, oh, dude, you still got it, dude. You're so awesome. Yeah, and he's just a guy who makes swords. That's what he does, but he's still got that aura about him. It is um, – it's absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, no, I mean, he loves his movies. He's riffing on them to the point, as I said, when I finally saw Lady Snowblood, I kept expecting that siren sound every time she looked yeah. at someone. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And it wasn't in there. And I was slightly disappointed. I'm like, oh, that was not in that movie. Oh, because you're thinking of Kill Bill. Okay. But no, it is, the music in this movie is probably one of the best soundtracks he's, and he works with music actually very well. Um, The fact that he uses animation in this movie to get that anime feel. Like he's playing not, I mean, yes, it's a lot of Shaw Brothers, but it's a lot of Asian cinema kind of wrapped into one. Well, I mean, mean, oh, he even has the bride dressed up in an homage to Bruce Lee. Yes. So it's like he's taking every element that he can out of 70s and 80s martial arts movies and mm. putting them in this one movie. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of like he realized he was going to get it one shot. I mean, yes, he wanted the whole thing to be the whole not one and two, not one and two to be the whole movie. He didn't quite get that, but it is um, still this kind of great thing where he's. Yeah. And for me, who have never seen a lot of um, Asian cinema or martial arts movies this was my way in. I was like, what is this? Are they parodying the guy with the beard? No, that actually happens just in a lot of Shaw Brothers movies. That is, that's kind of what they do. And it's, gets the timing of them so well. Um, I mean, yeah, he goes, yeah, you want to learn how to make a, a martial arts movie? You make a martial arts movie. You want to learn how to make a Western? You make a Western. And that's kind of what he's done. And he's constantly just- And who do you hire as the fight choreographer? And well, Yu Wu Ping. Yeah, the greatest of all time. <laughs> and then he didn't go and like edit the hell out of it. He let he did what the Wachowskis did in in the Matrix movie, mm. which is oh, you let him film the fights how he wants to film them. You stay yes. the fuck out of his way because he is one of the goats for a reason. And yes. that's why the fights in Kill Bill pop so well, is that he knows he's not an action director. Mm-hmm. So he stayed out of the way. Which for Quentin Tarantino is feels weird because he is such a control freak on his movies. But for him to actually recognize Vu and P is like Ping is the like the goat and just go, you know what? I'm stepping back, you direct, you direct these, and it shows. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It just works. Yeah. And um yeah, so we're gonna it's a great movie, and with that, we're gonna get into a movie that I kind of knew I loved, but I fell in love with again. I don't know what it is, and I was kind of questioning, is this Shane is this the best Shane Black script? Or is this because Gina Davis is just giving it so much more pathos than anyone else has given a Shane Black movie? And that is of course the long kiss goodnight. What if you couldn't remember your real name, your first kiss, or your last goodbye? I don't all your memories. Name's Charlie. I'm coming back. Came flooding back to you. Even Charlie. Long time. One bullet at a time. I got movement on Samantha Kane. You're good. I may have a lead on someone. I may still have some of her stuff. <gasps> this man, he's gonna help me find some things out. So we'll be safe. Your full name is Charlene Elizabeth Baltimore. This could be trouble. <sighs> My name is Samantha Kane. No, 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 forget all that. I'm in the PTA. Then quit. You're an assassin working for the United States government. We have 24 hours. We find her and we kill her. Run for your life! Charlie Baltimore's alive, sir. Who are you? Name's Charlie. The spy. 
Back when we first met, you were all like, oh, fooey, I burned the darn muffins. Now, you go into a bar, 10 minutes later, sailors come running out. What up with that? This fall. Honk, if there's any trouble. Yeah, so Miss Daisy, I'd be honking. If you have plans for a calm, quiet evening. Cover your ears. Should we get a dog? Did you see this when this came back out in 1996? Um, I saw this opening weekend. Yep. I've been a defender of this movie since day one. Mm. It is long. It is loud. It is instantly quotable. I can't tell you how many times I've told someone I would have been here sooner. Oh, but I was thinking of that ham on rye line. <laughs> Sam Jackson is gold in this movie. Every line he has is hysterical, but he's backed up by Gina Davis going harder than she should for this movie. Oh my God. That's she awesome. is, she's so she good. Is, um, she's emotional. Mm-hmm. She gives a hell of, perfor- hell of a performance. She also does the action shockingly well, really well, but also you have a supporting cast that just is there for oh, Brian Cox. Every line read that man does. Um, I will so. <laughs> and I but have one only... next to Mr. Wally. Yeah. One only uh, I, I still found the story that only one can assume is a penis. It's a duck. <laughs> Not... <laughs> oh, that's a duck. It's a duck. And not a dick. Or the or when he's talking to what I assume is either his mother or his wife, he's like, "Oh, your dog, Alice." Oh, he's been licking his asshole for three straight yes, hours. Alice. Just that whole sequence, I die every time. Every time, I, I will propose that whatever was there has gone for good, or is there, there to stay? To, to stay. stay. It has. And David Morse, who pops up for like oh. two scenes, dude, is Daedalus. And David Morse, underrated actor. Yes, he is creepy in this movie. The beauty of a woman's face in stinted pain like childbirth. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but it has one of the most underrated and great villain performances of the 90s. Yes. In Craig Birko. Craig oh Birko is charming. Yes. Suave. Smarmy. Evil funny as hell and like when oh spoilers he dies you can't help but cheer because it's it's... not only it's backed up by one of the greatest fucking and one-liners in action cinema history which is and die screaming motherfucker yes so good because literally she told him that she goes she goes and you're gonna die screaming and i'm gonna watch am i lying now Mm. yeah no, I and sure as shit, it happens. Oh my, it happens. like, so when you oh, you reached out to our group and was like, Hey, like, I like, I want to do this movie. Does anyone want to record? I was very honored in the fact that uh, several of our friends in the Discord go, You have to get Chris on. That's what they said. It's like, Is anyone want to do this? And then everyone's like, Chris really loves this movie. I'm like, Oh, perfect, Chris. And I'm like, Guys, like I to? have a brand. Thank <laughs> you very much for the support because I was like. I've never had a chance to talk about this movie on a podcast before. So I was super excited. I watch this movie every year. Every December, I watch this movie. Mm. No, because I'm I'm not surprised. It is a Christmas movie because because it's Shane Black and Shane Black is obsessed with Christmas. But also, it's just a great movie. It really is. I mean, what what I think I love about Shane Black is he is obsessed with Christmas. So it's always Christmas. His movies don't have to be set at Christmas. No, Um, not at all. Not at all. 
I mean, it's just a backdrop. This one seems the most Christmassy because this one is more about family. I mean, usually he has the precocious kid and that's kind of everything he has. So it's usually about some sort of family, but this is about a woman leaving her family, then coming back to her family. And when you get Christmas movies, that's generally what a Christmas movie is. They are generally the true meaning of Christmas. And this movie is about this woman realizing even though she gets her memory back and she's this badass bitch who doesn't need anyone, as soon as she gets a glimpse of her kid, she's like, this is my kid. This is my family. I can't, I can't yeah, fully walk yeah, away like, the way I want to. Like, uh, like uh, uh, there's that scene after uh, uh, they escape the farm where they're yeah. in the hotel, right? And she's trying to put the moves on Sam Jackson. And, you know, and he's like, no, like, oh, this is why you would do this. And he holds up a picture of uh, her kid and her fiance. Yeah. And she actually has an argument with him, which was like, oh, that's not me. Mm. But then when it comes down to it, no, that is her. Yeah. She is this, as you said, badass, but she's found another reason to live, which is her family now. And even Mitch, uh, Sam Jackson's character, they, over the course of this movie, oh, they form a true friendship. They do. Um, there is so much I want to talk about with this movie, but Samuel L. Jackson's performance is one of his, I think it's one of his best. And I don't think I it's one that, because this is a man who's given multiple amazing performances. So it's not sort of one you go, oh, oh yeah, of course, it's Long Kiss Goodnight. But I think it gets underrated a little bit because of all the other work that he's done. But there's that moment when Charlie kicks him out of the car and he's just lying <laughs> on the road. And <laughs> smoking a new port, smoking a new port. Smoking a new port. And he's just lying there. Because <laughs> it is such, a, it says so much about his character. I mean, he is so self defeatist. I mean, he's kind of the the scummiest guy on earth who kind of is Charlie's conscience in a way. Because he's the one that shows you the photo. He's like, yeah, you were the woman who put baking cookies. You were not this. I don't know what this is. And Charlie kind of tries to pretend that it was just because she had amnesia. It, no, that that was always her. That was always her inside her. She just had a different path that she needed to go down. But as I sort of said before, Shane Black writes a loser really well. I mean, in the um, last Boy Scout with- uh, Oh Willis, my God, another Shane Black banger. Oh my God. Talking to the mirror about how much he hates himself. Um, Ryan Gosling kind of just sitting by the pool, um, just getting drunk because he just can't face himself. I mean, he makes the, he right. I mean, even when in Iron Man 3, where he just strips Robert Downey Jr.'s- um, Of everything. Of everything. And he has to kind of actually face the fact that he has PTSD. He's going through all this stuff. I mean, it's done in a very Marvel way, but it's that core of, I have to act, I, there's, I can't have any distractions. I just have to deal with me. And the, when Sam Jackson is just lying in the road, middle of the road, it's just the self-defeated, yeah, this is where I'd always turn. I was it's always also, This is where This is where I belong. <laughs> and it's also a right after- like oh that alleyway scene yes oh when gina davis like are you stupid or did you take lessons take les i took lessons <laughs> so, every, like i'd say 85 to 90 percent of the dialogue that sam jackson gives i laugh hysterically yes but then he also he adds a real <sighs> sadness his character what i love sad. about the yeah. script is it could have gone the cliched way which yeah they're they're in the car after Charlie founds um, after Charlie finds of oh, the sniper rifle. Mm. And he says, yes, I was 
do the San Quentin do for four years, right? I'm never going back. Mm. He starts to give the story of how he ended up in prison. I was, I was a cop in Atlanta. And you think, oh, he was framed. And Charlie even says, oh, like your partner, partner, and he goes, oh, no, I did. Yeah, I just got I stole the motherfucker. And (laughs) it's like, okay. Uh, Right there, it could have been a super cliched, oh, Sam Jackson is a cop who was framed by his partner unjustly, Mm. right, and went to prison. No. He flat out admits in the first hour of the movie that Sam Jackson, yes, at the start of the movie, he is tricking that dude into paying him off. Yeah. But also, it's not just because of his current situation. Mm. He's been a shitbag for a long time. He has. There is this moment um, with that because he's basically pulling scams on on people. He's getting... um, uh, I did write the actor's name down. She was on CSI New York for quite a while. She's playing the sex worker who's drawing people in. They take a photo. They get to blackmail him. Sam Jackson's kind of coming in with two drunk homeless people. Um, <laughs> throwing Like you'd think something would be up when someone was throwing up, trying to read you your rights, but oh well. Um, but there's a line he says, it's like, yeah, you can tell that you don't have good taste because the amount that you spent on this prostitute and the look on her face i mean harley uh we've been saying he's the king of excess but with the script he knows that there's heart there's sort of emotion behind it so when he zeroes in on her face and she's devastated it's not the first time she's heard it this is probably a spill that he does every single time but it still hurts every single time he says it like it still stinks and and then there's even a part like god i'm jumping around sorry but at the end yeah when oh the daughter is in the truck Mm. And Mitch is on the radio oh, with Charlie going, no, oh, you cover me. I'm going in. And he pauses to himself and he goes, please just do this one thing. Right. Please. Mm. Yes. Like he's fucked up his life mm. this entire time. But if he can save this little girl, it'll make up for 30, 40 years of him being a dirtbag. Yes, I love the line. I have screwed up. Every, I have. No, what is it? I have never done any. Everything I, I have done in my life is wrong. That takes skill. Um, yeah. I love that line. This is a guy who knows that every single point he's fucked up. He's a dirtbag. And the fact that even when he sort of, they find, uh, I can't remember which credit card they find. I think it's Charlie's old credit card or something. Um, they find something that may link um, her to when Charlie's in her other more domesticated teacher life. And she's kind of, he's kind of like, oh, we can get some more money off her by doing this. It's still a scam. But yeah, he knows it's still a scam. It's, but he kind of sees her as this representation of all that is wholesome. This is a woman who has a kid. She's getting married. She's a teacher. She's probably involved in every single school activity that the school does. She's a hard worker. She bakes cookies. She's kind to everyone. He still sees her as the symbol. So when she starts going into full Charlie mode, he's like, no, you were the one good thing that I saw. Why are you doing this? Um, yeah. Yep. And he turns into a, and he's the one who turns into her conscience, which I absolutely love. It is, yeah, it's a phenomenal. And their chemistry is oh. undeniable in this movie. Yeah. They are so good together. Like when they're in the train station and like she blacks out for a minute and goes into Charlie mode and she goes, oh, what happened? He goes, he goes, oh, I saved your life. It was great. You didn't do anything. <laughs> Like, oh, she's the one that shot out the window, dude. You know, oh, she jumped him out the building, blah, yeah. blah. He goes, oh, we jumped out of a building. And then Brian Cox with, yes, you're like, it was very exciting. And tomorrow, and we'll go to the zoo. Yes. Like, uh, God. This, this is 
probably my favorite O'Shane Black script. I think it was for the dialogue. That's what it's, I was trying like, to decide. Yeah, because I the last Boy it. Scout is close because that's also instantly quotable. Yeah, but I think more of Mitch's one-liners than I do anything out of Last Boy Scout, and I think that's why I prefer it. But they're still both just action comedy classics. It is. I mean, I think in terms of just pure by dialogue, I think I still go for the nice guys because that's the one I've been quoting since I saw it back in 2016. Um, <laughs> that's the license you, to carry, motherfucker. Um, you want to see my dick? <laughs> no, what? No, I'm not going to pay to see your dick. I mean, there's just too many. Um, <laughs> why do I look Mexican? Oh, I thought you looked Filipino. Um, no, it is, <laughs> it is just... Um, yeah, there's just too many things, but I think this is actually better a heart with emotional kind of movie. It is, and I think a lot to do with it has to do with Samuel L. Jackson and Gina Davis. Um, Gina Davis, I mean, yes, when your husband is the director, you know that he's going to hook you up because if he doesn't, there's going to be a conversation of like, uh, sweetie, um, why aren't you hooking me up? <laughs> and, but- this is, and this is a, what Mike and Liam and Vice say, on action for everyone or which is you hook your actors up yes he hooks up gina davis in such a glorious way and yes i was stealing it from them but i think also routinely um, though it's not just like a single scene no hooks her up throughout the movie yes exactly and i because i think I, i can tell that gina davis did have a little bit more control over her role purely because she's Married to the director, the, the honey, uh, her and they're married at this time. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. And so they're working. They're very much working together on this, it, it, definitely. And so he just is constantly hooking her up during that movie. I mean, the first scene when the guys come to the house and she just hasn't quite had a memory, but she's blanking out and going into Charlie mode, and she throws her daughter, the blown out the thick of the wall, throws her into the um, treehouse, and. Yep. It is just this kind of everything about it. Just she is just on point and on point. And you're right. As you said, she goes way harder than she needs to, but it is glorious. And she's giving all these Shane Black lines. They're very, for her, they're always very serious. She's not particularly a jokey character. Everyone else gets to do that. Even um, friggin' um, the bad guy, um, Craig, Craig Breco. Um, he is, he is smarmy. He is arrogant. He is oh, Timothy. around. Oh, Timothy. Sorry. Timothy. Um, why did I write Craig down? Jesus Christ. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. His name's Timothy. <laughs> when he does the Baywatch Nights line, that gets me every time. Oh, my God. When some guy's <laughs> near the end and someone's talking to him and like Charlie's fucking ears, like, I think I'm dying here. And he's like, well, continue dying. You're dying. Out. Out. He sounds so just like put out by it. Yeah. It's just like, what the fuck? And he's, he's, he is, everyone else can be really funny. She's absolutely serious except for that moment when uh because you always can see a little bit of charlie here from right from the beginning when she catches the 13 year old smoking it's like if i catch you smoking again i'll kill you and i'll hide the body when no one can find you and, and then later that pays off where she jumps over the <laughs> or the wood pile with the sniper rifle yes he's just going oh shit <laughs> she, goes, she goes oh if you tell anyone you saw me i'll blow your fucking head off yeah, give me the smoke. Um, but he's see, but she says it as you said, very straight faced. It's yes. not done for comedy. It's just no. like no, I I will literally kill you if you tell anybody about this. Yes, and you can tell she's serious. So she's not joking. And so when the moments with her daughter, um, like should we get a dog? Like oh, when she's trying to bang the thing to get the 
to get the spark so she can blow up the door. Yeah, yep. Because she's already figured out, okay, I'll get the doll, I'll put it with gasoline, they'll give me the way out. She can't get the spark because they're in a friggin' freezer. Um, and then her daughter goes, look, but I have matches on my cast. It's She's just, yeah, those moments when she's reconnecting with her daughter work because she's never joking. She's always Pure serious. genuine, pure yeah, genuine. Pure genuine. And I think this is one of my favorite Shane Blacks just purely because of her and the way she's reading the script. Everyone else will always hit the joke. Everyone else will always, and which is beautiful, but Gina just gives it so much heart and so much pathos and so much genuineness that you believe this woman has, there's, it's not just the case of amnesia, which I love. It's this kind of case of almost a dual personality. It's like even um, Brian Cox says, um, it was not, that is not the real you. That was a role you were playing and you just immersed yourself in it when you um, got shot and fell off, fell off the cliff. But it's like, she just kind of gave up for a moment and just went, I don't want to be Charlie. I want to be this. So it's almost yeah. like a dual personality more than a And then like at the really end. Smart. Yeah. Oh, when the daughter is like slapping her and like, no, like, and you stand up now, you know, like she sits up and she goes, and she goes, oh, I love you, Caitlin. She goes, and you're grounded. Yeah. Because like she was like yelling at her own mother, but it's like that is so earned. Mm. And then she's still Charlie, but there's a moment where she's holding Caitlin and uh, the helicopter starts shooting and she – oh, she cowers as yeah. she's holding Caitlin, which is very un-Charlie. That is Samantha, but she's now – she's a mixture of both. Yes, and when she's yelling – when she's just on the thing saying – um just help me. I've got my kid here. You can't, you, I mean, the, the, which is kind of, yeah, she's pleading. She's like, please save me. I will please save my kid more than anything else. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, and the fed is just like, oh yeah, sorry, man, there's something we can't do because they are literally planning to kill 500 people. I mean, this isn't like a quarter. This is like, um, if, yeah, the whole crux of the movie is that a, I can't remember which agency, but they're planning a fake terrorist attack so they can get more funding. Oh, it's the CIA. CIA. Yeah. They haven't had, they're not getting any funding because nothing's happened um, except for the first bombing in the World Trade Center uh, in the early 90s. So they need more funding. So they're just going to fake a terrorist attack and they're going to kill pretty much a whole town. That was, that's their plan. And so it is, these guys are already kind of heartless to begin with, but the fact that she's just pleading for her daughter is is heartbreaking. Like Charlie thinks she's going to die in that moment. Yeah. And then you get Mitch who's been shot and beat up and he just kind of like sits up and it has that a guitar riff on the score and i'm yes. like you're damn right sam jackson's about to save the day and as he's racing on the thing he's like oh that's right and he can't kill me motherfuckers i'm like yes god yeah. this movie owns it it really does because for the whole movie charlie has been saving mitch that has been even when he sort of says, "Yeah, I saved your life. It was great." Um, he didn't like, and even when he didn't do shit, yeah, he didn't do shit. Even when he's been taken away, it's the, before the final uh, climax. He's se- they're separating him again. They're taking Mitch somewhere else, and he just goes, "I'll look, f- I'll look forward to when you save me." It's just he knows what their relationship is. So when at the end he gets to finally kind of pay it back a little bit, it's it's great. I, I yeah. love, I love that scene that you just referenced. Yeah, because because oh, she looks right at him and she goes. I'll be there in a minute. Yeah. It's... And it's like, oh, so good. And then you get the whole thing where Sam, hey, Timothy. Oh, let me tell you about the Grinch. He's a mean fuck. <laughs> yes. God. 
He's Damn, hustling. Dude. He's he's always hustling. He's always hustling. It's amazing. Um, but so no, I good. mean, so much happens to Sam Jackson. I mean, this man. I mean, Charlie's kind of invulnerable from the get go. You know that just because of who she is, she's kind of a superwoman. Poor Mitch on the other hand <laughs> gets thrown out of windows multiple times. He is locked down. He is beaten up. He is everything that possibly can happen to a person. So when he wakes up. I he gets punched in the balls by Brian Cox. Which he does. One of my favorite lines where she goes, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he goes, I hope not because I'm thinking how much my balls hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, the fact that he is still kind of standing at the end is a miracle because this man should have died. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. After he does the Grinch line, and Timothy throws the blade at his crotch and he's blown mm. out the window and he lands in the tree and falls down. Like, you're like, how is he still standing? Yeah, because he kind of just sits up and goes, he has a look in the face of like, how the hell did I survive that? <laughs> and then he throws the knife and hits that dude in the neck. And I'm like, yes. 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 Yeah. And he's, then, he like, kind of gets into that superhero moment of like, yeah, he's turning into a superhero. This is amazing. <laughs> and you're a little worried at the end when they drive out of the explosion, right? And they oh, finally yes. stop. And he goes, I just can't drive anymore. And he's covered in blood. He's yeah. bleeding out. And he has that sweet moment oh, with Caitlin where he tells her, and you have the eyes of your mother or something like that. And mm. don't let anyone ever tell you different. And he starts to cry because he thinks he's going to. Yeah. Or he thinks he's going to die. And she goes, mm. goes, he just goes, oh, hey, partner, hang in there. Because remember, oh, we're rich. Mm. And you're like, yes, she's going to hook him up. And then literally she gets him on Larry King through a call from the president. Oh my God. That line. I forgot where that line came from. Cause I'd heard that line of like, you know, I'm very um, frank and earnest you know, with the woman that I am in New York. I'm frank in the Chicago. I'm Chicago earnest. I'm earnest. <laughs> and just that little chuckle. And even Larry King chuckles and you're like, yes, yeah. just, and his ex-wife and his son are watching like, look, he's not a fuck up after all. Yes. He, he finally did something. And you're like, bravo. Yeah. But the fact that he says that joke, he can't help himself. He still has to be a smart ass on Larry King. He can't be, you know, I just love it's just because it's who he is. He's always just going to, yeah, people are watching me. What kind of dumb joke can I make? <laughs> yep. Yep. So good. So it's, good. It's, it's so good. This movie just does everything right. And yes, I have, I think it is bloated and way too long, but I think that actually works for the movie. Um, it's something about it that only Rennie Harlan can do. Um, he's the king of excess and this is it. And, and I think and if any kind of someone else during that time was directing it, I think you'd feel the ebb and flow. Like you'd be, okay, it's a bit low here. It's a bit bloated here. It's a little bit boring in the middle uh, and it never is with this movie. And it's because yeah. it's two hours. It is. It doesn't it's feel like two hours, but also what I love is like, <sighs> When people talk about, oh, man, this movie's too long, and then you watch that movie and you're like, yeah, like I would lose this scene or I would lose mm. that scene. I wouldn't lose a single scene out of Long Kiss. No. Because it all adds to the overall film. Yes. Like at the start uh, with Timothy where like he is interrogating that guy. You can't drop that scene because it introduces Timothy and shows just the type of character that he is where like he gets that phone call and he's like, he goes, oh yeah, what? You're like, <laughs> oh, he says, um, um, uh, what is so fucking important? And mm. he just sounds so annoyed. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, like, oh, this guy saw something on the TV that oh, disturbed him. And he goes, yeah. 
it's Baywatch nights. Oh, do you want to get to the fucking point? Like mm. just, just in two, three minutes, he shows the type of villain that he is. So you can't drop that scene. No, you can't be, drop any also, of the Brian Cox stuff because it fleshes out who Samantha actually is. Yes. And also that first scene with Timothy shows how cruel he is. I mean, he's because he always gives a choice. Do you want to stab you or do you want to shoot you? And the guy's going, please shoot me. I just want this to be over. Fucker still stabs him. Like this is not a guy who's giving a choice. This is a guy who's toying with his victims. And again, yeah. it shows what kind of villain that he that he is that you need to know. And yes, you can't cut any of the Brian Cox stuff because it does show where Samantha is, uh, Sam and Charlie are coming, uh, who they are. And without the coxing, you don't know why, because everyone else is trying to screw her. The CIA is pretty much, oh no, we need her to die. We need her to die now. She's not, we can't, we can't have her in the organization anymore. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Cox is the one guy who's like, no, I'll keep you safe. I'm the relationship you had when you were in the life. This is what it is. And then, but you can't cut any of the family stuff because you need to know where, who Samantha was. And the mm-hmm. whole scene where she's cutting the carrots and goes, oh, I'm a chef. This is what chefs do. Um, and then every time she says that line, it gets darker and darker. <laughs> it's so perfect. But yeah, everything in that movie is related to character. I mean, you can't, definitely can't cut the scene where Sam Jackson's lying in the road because that tells you everything who that man is. So everything is servicing the characters. Or you and- can't. Even yeah. cut the scene when he's talking to his son, right, and showing him the toy. Yeah. Because afterwards, like, after his son heads inside, like, after saying, Dad, I can't take this, and you know how mom will get, that oh, later is backed up by the scene in the car where oh, Mitch is explaining his backstory, which yes. is, yeah, I was a dirty cop. Like I stole some shit mm. and they're like, and that's why the ex-wife hates him. Mm. So you can't take that scene out because then at the end, when he's on CNN on Larry King live and it, it shows his wife and his son that, that it works out of oh, the earlier scene from the movie, which is yes, look, he's showing his wife and his, or his ex-wife and his son that he's not a fuck up. So every yes. scene works. You can't take anything out of this movie. No, you really can't. And it's definitely filled with that uh, Rennie Harlan excess. But those action scenes are amazing. Everything's just a touch too big, kind of like in Die Hard, Die Hard 2. Everything's just a touch too big, but it works. Like a scene when they come and attack uh, Samantha in the house and she's throwing. Why does he have a shotgun that he spins? Yes. Or it like shoots a rocket, basically. There's no need for it, but it's fucking awesome. Yeah, why does David Morris tie her to a goddamn um, water wheel? Like, that seems so excessive. Like, but it's brilliant because it gives you the moments of tension and she's seeing Brian Cox has been killed and she's grabbing, she's slowly turning into Charlie, like, fully. So time she gets the gun and shoots him, she's Charlie. Um, It's an excessive way of doing it, but it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like just just in this recording, going like, man, this might be my favorite of Shane Black's scripts. There's some heavy contenders, like you said, oh, the nice guys and, and last boy scout are strong. Yes. But just thinking like I wouldn't trim anything out of this movie shows how strong of a script this actually is. Yes. And I like the fact that Rennie Harlan knows this. Like, I think he knows, he's the kind of director who knows what he's making. 
Like he's never been that kind of guy to sort of go, I'm going to make it better or something. I'm going to change it. Like, no, I've got a Shane Black script. Shane Black does very certain things. Like he does have the pathos, even back in Lethal Weapon, when you have um, Riggs wanting to shoot himself in the mouth, but cannot do it. I mean, it's a really painful moment and feels kind of out of place in the rest of the movie. Um, a little bit because it's so dark. I mean, I mean, it's jarring. It's jarring. I mean, yeah, we believe the weapon is a pretty dark action movie, but that scene is just like, whoa, okay. Um, and and it shows that like he's he's not a good person in real life, but at the yeah. time oh, Mel Gibson was a hell of an actor even in something like Lethal Weapon he gives yeah. a powerful performance in that scene yes and yeah so, you're right it's jarring from the rest of it because everything's kind of even though it's dark it's very very jokey and then you have that one moment which sort of showing what kind of character Riggs is I mean yeah Mel Gibson's uh, but in when he went back in the day when he could pull off those kind of scenes it's was a maybe touch but touch too well done um but it is but this one kind of feels more of a piece you've got those darker moments especially with um uh with with charlie uh jenna davis who's kind of knowing i mean that scene where she transforms like she's doing the she buys the eyeliner she's bought, bought the hair dye she's kind of going she back does and, that awesome trick with the shot glass yes like she's back she's back as charlie and then the first thing she does is like yeah i'm gonna hit on uh mitch and mitch is less like this isn't you she's like oh no this is me the, the lady before wasn't me and I love the moment when she's sneaking back in the house to try and find the key to the safe deposit box because she already knows that the CIA wants to kill her. And she can't help but look through the telescope with the sniper rifle and see Caitlin. And that's the moment when she goes, oh, fuck, I'm still Samantha. Like, I can't. Yeah. I can't and she even kind of like, mind. almost like yeah. sighs as she looks up from the scope like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like, she can't help herself. And she's like, oh, crap. Now I've... I do have an attachment to this kid. So as soon as they, Timothy takes um, Caitlin and they know she's like, well, I have to go back for the kid. Like if this, if they know that I've had a kid, they know I'm a, this isn't, a, this is an emotional attachment, but she's still my kid. I'm her mother. I need to go to her. And it is, it's just fucking smart screenwriting. I mean, and Gina Davis sells it so hard. She's so good in this. She's, she's fucking great. Oh. Like, I, it's not that she's overshadowed, but I think she has the hardest of, of performances in this movie. Yeah, she's because she doesn't. Mm. Yeah, exactly. She she is the straight man uh, to Brian Cox and Sam Jackson and Craig Birko, who have mm. all the quotable fucking one liners. Yes, she has to hold down all the emotional weight. Mm-hmm. She does 80% of the action scenes. Yep. And she has to give a dramatic performance in relation to a child. Yep. And she sells it all. She does. You completely believe when she's Samantha, you completely believe when she is Charlie, and you believe when she's kind of melding the two characters at the end. Like she's kind of Yeah. She's oh, like kind when of she throws to... the knife at the cricket. Yes. Or the and uh and uh um her fiance just kind of looks at her and she just kind of shrugs like, Hey, this is me now. And he just smiles yeah. like, yeah. like, okay. Mm. I'm like, I'm marrying this woman who could kill me with a thumb. And he is, and I'm okay with, with it. it. He's fine with it. Yep. Like that's kind of, cause I was always my one big thing previously with the movie is like, I didn't buy that. She would stay with him. Like, cause he's too nice. I thought that she would have taken Caitlin and gone off in the sunset, but no, she still loves this man. And this man 
kind of just accepts her. It's never been he's in love with Samantha. He's been in love with her. And yeah. And because yep. you can already tell that Pits of Charlie have been poking out here and there anyway. So he kind of knows that there's, I think he does know that that's been in, in there. So when it comes out fully, he's like, yeah, that's the woman I fell in love with. Yeah. And, and he yeah. just accepts it. Yeah. Just fully accepts it. Like he is the most like, understanding person ever. <laughs> and like, oh, like after they're attacked at the house and she's going off with Mitch, he even tells her, or oh, whatever you find, I'm still going to be here. Yeah. And his performance and you believe it where he's like, yeah, he's still going to support her or no matter what, even if she finds out that she fucking married like her or, and she murdered 80 people or whatever. He's going to be like, yeah, I still love you. Hmm. And, and it's she, like, by the sounds of it, she did. <laughs> yeah. Cause she's a hardcore assassin, but like, yes. yeah. And, yeah. And then, and, and, you know, it shows at the end that, and they have a dog, which is just awesome. Yeah. They do. It's like they've kind of gone to the, they've obviously moved away. They're in the middle of probably some Southwestern place, maybe California somewhere. It's, it's really gorgeous. It's really sunny. It's perfect. And they have a dog and they've got a nice house. And I do love things when she's talking to the president. He's like, could you come back? She's like, you know what? As a teacher, I can make a lot of money, which not true, but she has a lot yeah. of money because she's had this squirreled away. So she's fine. She doesn't need to to work or anything she's kind of set for life and it's this really gorgeous kind of moment where i love the two personalities have been have kind of melded into one and that's who she is now she's just kind of accepted the two halves of herself and yep. it's a really nice place to end on because most of the movie yeah she's doing all this stuff she's 80 percent of the action she's doing the dramatic lifting of the movie she's doing everything and also her arc is kind of recon reconciling her two halves the killer and the mother and that's kind of what she's doing and I think she pulls it off way better than a lot of people. And I say this as a huge Chang Black fan. I'll even kind of defend uh, the Predator a little bit. Um, there, uh, so, mm, I, mm. I'm okay. a defender of that movie just because of the VA guys, you know, the guys in the VA. Yeah. That movie gets a lot of hate for their dialogue. Um, a newsflash, everybody. That's how veterans talk to each other. Yes, um, I would that agree is, with that. Yeah, that that's... is very genuine. I've like you've had more experience with this than yes. <laughs> uh, the Keegan Michael Key character, for example, turning everything to a joke. Yeah, that is me. Yeah, like oh, my wife last because we were watching an episode of Friends where a Chandler was going, hey, like oh hey Monica, I remember that joke, and she goes, and you tell a lot of jokes, and I was like, babe, is that how you feel about me? She goes, yes, you tell a lot of jokes, and I'm like, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, yeah, and I love it for for the VA guys as well, and the fact for the predator doggos. Um, predator doggos are awesome. Oh, they're so good. Uh, but yeah, and I, the fact that I've seen that movie a lot of times, just there's a movie that my partner always get will get stuck on, and one of the times it was the predator, so we'd watch that movie a lot. Um, mainly because I couldn't take Venom anymore, and it's like, okay, we're watching the predator. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I've come to love that movie a little bit more, even though I think the editing choices in that movie are very questionable. And yeah. whatever that last bit was at the end, I'm like, oh, dear God, no. Um, oof, but, yeah. Oof. But yeah, I do love Shane Black movies. But to say, I think Gina performance, Gina Davis gives one of the best Shane Black performances. I think Ryan Gosling gets close because I think he's got a, he's a lot more uh, one-liner and one more kind of humorous, but I think he does play the depression really well. I think Gina Davis is the best performance for the Shane Black dialogue. I think she gets exactly what Shane Black was meant to do with that character as in this uh, woman who wanted to forget her past 
she can't quite because it's always going to catch up with you. So it's more about reconciling her two halves and realizing you can be a killer and a mother at the same time. They don't have to be opposite things. They are just, yeah. just who yep. she is. And the fact that she rides that line really well. And again, when her daughter's like, because it's it's coming back to the point where Caitlin's broken her arm with skating and her mother just blanks out and goes, life is pain. You just have to learn to live with it. Again, I don't think that's the first time that's happened because the way that her daughter's screaming at her, you life is pain, you need to get up. This is kind of, I, I, I got the sense watching it this time around, this has just been happening throughout her her life. Her mother's mostly wonderful, joyous and, and just a charming human being. And then at some point she'll just go dark and look at you. And I think because Caitlin doesn't really react when this happens. She's like, okay, yeah, my mother's going dark again. I think this is just what happened. You know what's funny is I've never thought of it that way, but that makes mm. a lot of sense because mm. I always related it to she gets in the car accident at, you know, like at the start of the movie and oh, she hits her head and that's yeah. what brings out Charlie. But yeah. that is actually a really interesting idea that I think actually makes the movie stronger is because you're right. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't give a reaction. She just kind of looks at her like, and it's not like a mom Oh, what are you saying? It's like, okay, I'll get up. Yeah. I mean, wow, I think, damn, damn. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the car crash exasperates it. Like, I think it really brings out Charlie more than, but I think, I mean, especially when she talks to the boy, like, yeah, if I catch her smoking again, I'll kill you and hide the body. I mean, she's not exactly joking in that moment. Yeah. Uh, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And the fact that she's dressed like a character from Beetlejuice kind of makes the whole thing a bit stranger, but. Uh, no, just, <laughs> <laughs> just like the, the overall dress like oh she's they're dressing her like she did in Beetlejuice um but yeah I think that's kind of which is kind of why I went to the whole oh it's not quite amnesia it's more of a split personality thing happening here um and yeah I think it does I think that's I think that's I feel like that's the way that Gina Davis is playing her and I think it's really smart because I think a lot of people would go for the pure amnesia two different amnesia it's all coming back to me but it's kind of all peppered through the movie and Oh, you're yeah. right, because she does refer to Samantha in the third person. Yes. Or when she's yelling at Mitch and she goes, oh, Samantha had the kid. I yes. didn't. Yes. Oh, Lindsay, you just fucking blew my mind. <laughs> I don't think it's completely there. I think the car crash does actually mean something, but I think she's been suppressing a lot of this. Like, I think when she got shot and found out she was pregnant, she went, fuck this. I don't want to be Charlie anymore. Like, um, and... Yeah, so I think there's something smarter going on, and I don't quite know if it was the Shane Black script or if anyone was adding to it because Shane Black scripts can be very, um, I call them graph-like, like very everything's kind of very separated and very kind of equal, but this one's kind of muddling things a little bit, and you don't see that as often with a Shane Black script. Yeah, mm. man, I, I'm like Florida, and I'm like, holy, oh, you just added a whole layer to this movie <laughs> that I love already. I mean, I could be making it up. It might not even have been like the purpose of no, I love it though. It. Yeah, no, I love it though because, mm. or thinking of individual scenes, you're right. If that is the case, it works. Mm. No, it's a really interesting way to read the movie, and I think it just works for when at the end. Um, because I think that's there's a bit, yeah, because everyone sort of goes through their character arc, and I think that is more. Gina, uh, way Gina Davis was playing it, but yeah, they just um, she's kind of just reconciling the fact that she had these two personalities, and she brings together at the end, and she's still going to kill the cricket with a knife, like brilliant aim. Everyone has brilliant aim in this movie. I love it. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> when people when people aim, they they kill. 
It's like when she's on the ice skates. Yes. She's hitting a moving vehicle through glass and hits them all square dead in the chest. Yeah. And Sam Jackson even makes that line afterwards where like, and you could have aimed for those guys' shoulders. You know, like, no, she, she, she shoots to kill. Oh, she doesn't shoot to wound. No, no. And she's always kind of thinking, I love it. I love the line of, um, are you the stupid or you do take lessons? Because now you've just alerted everyone around here. I had this completely under control. You come and barged in. And the only thing Sam can say is like, yeah, I took lessons. <laughs> Still one of my favorite fucking lines. In it's, <laughs> I took lessons. I took lessons. It's such a good line. It's being him so defensive, but knowing that he's in the wrong. <laughs> I say that all the time. I took lessons. <laughs> oh, that's a duck, not a dick is another one. Oh. You know, oh, the balls hurt line, you know, him oh. on Rye line. Or when he's doing the, and da na 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 I put oh. my keys in my pocket. I do that often. I was like, what are you doing? It's so I know where everything is, so I don't shoot myself in the dick. <laughs> oh suddenly you're a sharpshooter god see again oh their chemistry they bounce off each other so well yeah and it's such like on paper it's such an odd pairing it is they're not too but when you watch the movie hmm. it works they do that with a lot of shane black actually i mean i would have never thought to put russell crowe and ryan gosling in a movie together oh my ever. no and never they work they work They're really well. So good together. Yeah. Um, I think probably uh oh now I'm blanking on his name, uh Dick Face, uh Lethal Weapon with Danny Glover. Um they oh, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Not the pairing you would have thought back in nineteen eighty seven or whatever when that movie came out. Um, but it works. And yet it works. Yeah. They're really the Or Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. That shouldn't work on that paper. That shouldn't work. No, it does. It did and, not work in real life. It worked in the movie, but it, they, they did not like each other. No. Well, from everything I heard, those are two actors who are very hard to work with. Yes. And then you have is, uh, I mean, you, Tony Scott, who's also a... Um, actually, he seemed like a really laid-back guy until he, didn't ha- until he couldn't be, and I think that was very much the case with um, Last Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah. Like, I... Like, I've heard the stories um, of the Lethal Weapon show and Damon mm. Williams are Damon Wayans just being like They're... unbelievably hard to work with. And yes. then all the Kevin Smith stories of Bruce Willis and then oh, knowing like I, I I feel awful for what has happened to Bruce Willis, you know, like in the last couple of years because yeah. he is an icon. But oh, before that, he was a jackass on set. So yeah. having he, he, oh, he... those two people together yeah a poor tony scott could only take so much i know but it was um because bruce willis would test you like if he would go to the uh, director and he would go okay what lenses are you using and of course kevin smith is not going to give the answer that um that wes anderson or ryan uh, johnson are going to give um because they have both said i found it really easy to work with because they could answer certain questions and he went okay i'm working with a guy who knows what he's doing I'm not going to pull the shit. I'm going to pull. He asks poor Kevin Smith what lenses, and he's let me. And he makes a joke, and then he, which he's actually said, then he started being difficult. Like he, it was like a test of how much can I push this guy. Oh, I don't. And so, um, and I think even Kevin Smith has said that. Like I, I, I should have realized at the time it was a test when he asked me a question, and I shouldn't have made a joke if I had sounded like an actual direct, the real director that I was pretending to be. I may not have gotten the flack from him, but I think that's what he did, which is kind of shitty when you're working with people. You shouldn't have to. And like Kevin Smith has even said, like, he's not, 
he's not a great director. Yeah. He said that he's he's very a rudimentary. He doesn't do a lot of tracking shots nope. like like up until oh, Clerks 2, he like his camera's always very like set Still. in place mm. until the um a dance sequence in Clerks 2. Yeah. Where I was like I was like, "Oh, Kevin's he does know how to move a camera." He just he, doesn't. He's yeah. a very simple director, but yeah. that's but that's what I don't expect flashy tricks of the camera mm. in a Kevin Smith movie. If it's a yes. Tony Scott movie or Rennie Harlan movie, then yeah. Yeah. See, but oh, Kevin Smith is very, mm, you know. Yeah, and it wasn't fair to put that pressure on him. So yeah, Bruce Willis could be an absolute dick and he was all ego. And that's not to say what happened has happened to him isn't tragic and awful. And I think people need to be held accountable for what choices they were making for him. Um, oh my god yeah the last couple of years of those movies and then oh. just last year with the uh um or the razzies nominations yeah and like, guys that was mm, mm, that... that was not and the way they doubled down it's like no you know now that this was he was being exploited not only was he ill he was being exploited and you still mm. want to do that mm, no yeah um, terrible Terrible. And, but he was a man of ego, like a lot of great action stars. I look at Stallone. He's notoriously has one of the biggest egos in Hollywood. Exactly. My favorite story about Stallone is that uh, Schwarzenegger was trying to fuck with him. So he said, he sort of said publicly, I'm looking at the script called Don't Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. So yeah. according to Urban Legend, uh, Stallone sweeped in, stole the script, made the movie, which is famously a pi- biggest pile of crap. And, oh, it's terrible. And, terrible. And Schwarzenegger is there just laughing his ass off. So it is, um, and I'm sure Alan Schwarzenegger also had moments of man, the ego. I mean, this is a man who ran for governor of California. I don't think you can do that unless you have some sort of ego. Um, oh, not only ran, but won. Won. He did. He was the governor. <laughs> he was oh, my governor for two terms? Yes. That's the thing. Yeah. He was like, not just one He term, was my terms. governor for two terms, not just one. Not like like a flash in the pan because actually he won on recall. Yeah, is he won on a recall and then was reelected? Yes. Um. So yeah, but I think um. But yeah, so our greatest action stars have been notoriously hard now. Whether because they're under great pressure, whether their bodies are under maximal pressure more than other actors are. I mean, you just have to look at Van Damme and what he put his body through and also the substances he wasn't taking when he was at his height of being difficult. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of a thing with certain actors. I mean, the, the stuff that have just come out about um, uh, Mike Myers, really hard to work with. Um, he could be, especially at his height, he could be a pretentious fuck and that is why oh. his great debt was because like people just like i don't want to work with him anymore i heard um, that back during um uh was it austin powers three i like oh, i started I to hear yeah. those stories and i was yeah. like oh that's a shame because you know at the time i was a huge fan of wayne's where i still am yeah uh and then all the austin powers movies but then i remember i think it was when they f- or were filming that when he did after that what is it um i love guru yeah yeah that he wouldn't budge on certain scenes even though everyone was telling him this isn't funny yeah but he wouldn't but no, no this is funny i wrote austin powers it's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. and guess what the movie was not funny um oh god it was <laughs> terrible oh lord yeah so i think ego is very much a part of that but um and i haven't heard any of the stories come out of 
this movie, but Sam Jackson feels like a man who has barely any ego. I mean, he just, he wants to work. That's what he wants to do. He's one of the most and prolific actors, I think, ever. Yeah, he's constantly in my like top three of most watched actors, actors on Letterboxd just because he's in everything. But he my shows favorite, up in everything. Yeah, but my I'm snakes on a plane. Um, but my favorite story is is when he got approached to do the prequels um, for Star Wars. Is one condition was he goes, I want a purple lightsaber. That was it. <laughs> he's like, yep. oh yeah, I want to be a Jedi, but I want a purple lightsaber. That is my that is what I want. And George was like, of course, okay, <laughs> that's easy. Which, which as I mean for all transparency for your listeners, I'm a diehard Star Wars fan. Yeah. Like I read the books, I watch the shows, I read the comic books. Mm -hmm. I know more about Star Wars than basically anything. There is no other Jedi that has a purple lightsaber. He got special treatment. He got special treatment treatment because he's Sam Jackson. And also he still has his hilt and on the hilt, Mm. it says he's a bad motherfucker. Yes. (laughs) Because he's Sam Jackson. He he's is. still the only Jedi and canonically to have a purple lightsaber. Oh, that is actually very – I didn't realize that. I thought he was yep. the first one, but I didn't know he was the only one. Nope. That was still he, a hidden he. thing. So in video games and stuff, like there's always that thing where you can change the blade, but oh, canonically it's either blue or green. Mm. God, yeah. I'm getting like super nerdy for your listeners. Sorry. Um, but Let it fly. Let it fly. <laughs> but yes, the only Jedi – to actually have a purple lightsaber and have it be only them and canonically is Sam Jackson. Ah, oh, that is so cool. Because I remember him talking in an interview where he was approached to do it. He said, hell yes, but he goes, I want, and he goes, yeah, and I got it. Like that was, that was, and he was so happy, the fact that he got the purple lightsaber. So that yep. is- um, that Even is so Yoda, cool. like, yep. did our Obi-Wan, they're always green or blue. Even mm. Ray, you know, at the end, you know, is yellow. Yep. Which- which it matters into the story overall for the Jedi. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get super hardcore nerdy, but oh, Sam Jackson had, yeah, he's the only one. Yeah, that is that is very cool. Uh, Gina Davis looks like she's amazing. She's always very very poised. Um, I think she's also fit in this movie. Oh my gosh, she's so she's she is so yeah. I mean, she doesn't she's not. They don't dress her she, down a little bit. Like which was my biggest thing in movies. If it's cold dress you goddamn actors i mean at least pretend that it's cold um and they do and she's kind of not i mean yeah she's in a tank top for some of it but she's being like beaten up and put in prison and they're not particularly going to be caring about certain and i also like that she's not overly jack because she's been a samantha kane for seven years yes so she's she's out of shape so she's not Oh, Linda She's, Hamilton jacked, which yes. oh, she could have done. Yeah. And it would have made sense for the character. But I think having her be a little frumpy and even oh, make reference to her fat ass, as she calls it in the movie. Yes, my ass got big. It, it makes sense because she's been a teacher and a homemaker for seven years. Yeah. It feels so that it, it feels, works. It works. It feels like she actually put in a lot of work in her backstory for this for this movie she was actually very conscientious okay who was this woman how has she been working for the last seven years what was her life like before she kind of feels like she put in the homework um because 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 a year before yeah. oh this release she was in cutthroat island she yes. is fit in that movie oh she, she is. is thin she is not jacked by any means but she's she's in shape and then you see her in this where 
it's not that she put on a lot of weight because it's Gina Davis and she's always been tall and thin, mm. you, you know, yeah. oh, that's just, and her build, but she, you know, when she makes and the fat ass line and she shakes her butt and she's like, yeah, I have a fat ass now. Yes. But then, oh, is there, oh there's that part after she goes in and rescues the kid where she throws that dude over her shoulder. Yeah. And it's Gina Davis. Yeah. It's not a stunt double. It's nope. Gina Davis throwing this dude who's twice her size over her shoulder, almost getting him in guard and snapping his neck. Yeah. And there's I'm... not a lot of cuts either. So, no. so it's not like, and so it's not like it was edited to show, Oh, like she's doing all the action she's on the ice skates she's shooting all the guns she is riding up the christmas lights holding on shooting an mp5 and shooting the shit out of timothy yeah it really is i mean you're right there's not a lot of cuts in it and rennie harlan is excess personified but he doesn't usually cut his action and he's usually really good at just letting the camera sort of stand back and kind of letting things play out um and which is really cool. So you do see Gina Davis and even Samuel L. Jackson doing quite a bit of stuff that they don't probably wouldn't have been asked in a lot of other movies. Now, Gina Davis is a very tall, strong woman just to begin with. You watch her in her earlier roles, um, even something in like Thelma and Louise. She's striking and very, like she kind of takes up the thing, which is a sign of a movie star and the fact that she's got a kind of, she's a very tall lady. So I think she's yeah. kind of strong naturally. But yeah, she is jacked without looking jacked i mean it works in, t- in t2 because you need to know that linda hamilton has gone through shit yeah hundred percent. you need 100%. to know that she has been working toward the specific thing that is about to happen and so she needs to be physically jacked it needs to be the appearance of it as well as the actual of it gina davis she's been in hibernation uh charlie's been in hibernation for seven years so she still has it but also she's yeah. in normal woman so, it's been turned off so yeah. like so like even oh despite her skills in the end fight with timothy she's not where she should be to take on this guy who's still been training and still been killing people so she's yes. a little off yes but i mean there's that awesome shot where she does oh the two-hander like the bam bam yeah and that is gina davis throwing those fucking punches yeah like she is good. I think she did want to be because yes, like a lot of women, Hollywood did her dirty. But I think Gina Davis really wanted to be an action star, which would have been so cool. And we did get a few of those movies. But she started off as kind of like the pretty girlfriend. Like she won the Oscar for the Accidental Tourist. I'm pretty sure she did. She was in Thelma and Louise, which was starting sort of more action. But you could kind of tell that's where she wanted her career to go. And the fact that it didn't, because Cutthroat Island in this did not work at, at the box office, sadly. Um, this has become it, more cult than I'm Cutthroat. a fan of Cutthroat Island. It, uh, I mean, yeah. it's not great. It has flaws. Yeah. But I mean, the scope of that movie, again, it's Rennie Harlan excess. He didn't have to build giant pirate ships and spend over $100 million in 94 on a pirate nope. movie. Nope. Like, that is ridiculous. Like, no one would have done that now until it was the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And but even remember, then, they didn't do that to the Pirates of the Caribbean does have, especially the first one, has a lot of practical boat stuff. It's still not to the excess from what I remember. It doesn't have the insane sets that Cutthroat Island does. They actually... And remember, like, yeah. because we're the same age, hmm. is oh, Cutthroat Island, it killed oh, the pirate genre. It did. 
I was really sad because I loved, I still love the Pirates Until of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Like, and when oh that movie was coming out, everyone was like, wait a minute. You're making a hundred, a million dollar movie with a Johnny Depp. And it's based off a theme park ride. Oh, Disney, what are you thinking? What like is, now, it's one of the biggest want? franchises ever. It's like, what I are think, you trying to lose money? <laughs> I think people oh, forget that movie was a, considered a risk. Like they were like, this is going to sink Disney because yeah. they because they had invested so much money because all people could think about is Cutthroat Island. Yes. And the fact that that it was a double whammy of um, that and something else oh, that killed that studio. Oh, yeah, um, you're right, but I because I remember I remember when that movie is it was canon? It might have been no, do 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 wasn't canon. Um, hang on, I'll just or is it Carlico? I think it was Carlico. Yeah, yeah, it was, like yeah. that kind of killed that studio, mm. and so then oh, Rennie Harlan went out a new line, and oh, these movies came out within I think it was a year of each other, mm. and Long Kiss did not do well. And that's when Rennie Harlan, like, he kind of, like, oh, he slithered away a little bit. He like, did. It, it, like, yeah, that, yeah, this this and this kind of broke him a little bit because even though Long Kiss Goodnight is a really good movie, I think it, for whatever dumb reasons, it didn't do as well. And you're right. It was Calico Pictures, and also they made their own production company for Cutthroat Island called Cutthroat Productions. Um, it's Because it, after this, he goes into hiding – Oh, basically for three years yeah. on Deep Blue Sea. Yes. And then he like because a cliffhanger is 93. So he yeah. went from this out oh, to Cutthroat Island and then Long Kiss. Yeah. Like a cliffhanger was a massive hit. Yeah, but it was. To that, have... that was a comeback for Stallone. Well, was it one of the cut was that Demolition Man? It was one of the two. It was like a two-hander, I remember. Yeah, it was like a two-hander. Yeah. But then to have oh two movies not do well both expensive especially cutthroat cutthroat was like 100 million and if i'm not mm. mistaken oh long kiss is like 90 yeah it's, it was not you can tell it's not a cheap movie <laughs> so his next movie is three years later on deep blue sea which was a solid hit but after that he kind of just he starts making smaller movies and straight to video movies and stuff like that and tv work yeah like, and it's kind of a shame because, I mean, as we've talked about for over two hours now, his, he, he has a solid, solid eye and he may be the king of excess, but I think that's kind of missing nowadays. It is. I think there is a, um, well, no, I think we get a little bit, little bit back with the new Avatar movie because I've just seen that, and that does because it's only because it's Cameron and he's the only one who can get away with it. As he I'm going bring... in a couple of days actually to see that, so I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, he does bring back the excess a little bit. Um... See, but again, it's James Cameron. It's, he's so allowed he, to. He's do allowed that. to do that, but no one else, even in big, hundred million dollar action movies like The Gray Man, there is no excess. There is just Flash. there isn't. It is yeah, and like like. And I think that is missing. Um, but at if the same time, if you look time, at Cameron and Harlan, yeah, uh, they kind of have similar uh, trajectories. Like, yes. imagine if a uh, Titanic had bombed, which it was meant to. Like, it was. And yeah. What happens if a Long Kiss and Cutthroat Island are massive hits? Harlan exactly. would still be in the upper echelon of directors, but he had two expensive movies. One that literally helped uh, destroy a studio. Mm-hmm. 
but and then he's kind of relegated. Oh, Cameron has had massive hit after massive hit, but people forget of oh, the Titanic. There were stories in Variety in the trades going, this is going to kill Fox Studios because it's a yep. $200 million and Titanic movie. Yeah. And then after that, he's making Avatar, which is like, oh, this is the most expensive movie ever made. It's going to kill Fox again. That was the same. It's going to kill yeah. Fox again. And then like, I'm not to go on a rant, you know, about all these people going, oh, is anyone asking for Avatar 2? Have we not learned to, to, not to trust in Cameron? Yeah, and it's like, oh, it didn't make his money the first day. Um, yeah, okay, can we go back to Titanic? One that was just saying this is going to kill um, Fox. This is going to be a biggest disaster ever. No one wants to watch a Titanic movie. That movie had legs. It wasn't the fact that it made the biggest opening weekend. It was, I mean, this doesn't really happen anymore. So don't, though, with Avatar, if it's going to break the rule, it's going to be Avatar 2. That thing stayed in the movie theater for six months. It just kept being in the top 10. Just- I remember, oh, Titanic. I went and saw that movie five times. Like I was 16 female and I was- I saw it three because yeah. I love, oh, the spectacle and I was already hardcore into movies and I love James Cameron. Yeah. But that movie only opened up to like 20 something million dollars. Yeah, it was a bomb. But, like first weekend, they was like, oh, this is going to sink everything. But, fun. Yeah. It, but it stayed for like, kind of, if memory serves and I could be wrong, like if we had a YouTube chat right now, they'd be- Oh, correcting me it stayed at number one over 20 million for like two months it did yeah it just kept going because people kept going back avatar then, one only opened up to 70 million and it people but then kept it stayed going at back. number one that's for months yeah and so it's like I, and they're sort of saying the same thing about avatar 2 but it's like um you do realize is all his movies have stayed in the top 10 for like two months but also the landscape has changed. If any movie this year has proven that audiences are still willing to return to a movie over and over and over again, uh, like they did on Maverick. Avatar, mm. Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. There is no, there is no pundit. I don't care who it is who would have predicted that Top Gun Maverick would have made over $600 million of domestic. <laughs> that it saved cinema. It was meant to be Nolan, but it was Tom Cruise. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh, Tom Cruise. I was thinking, okay. It's a legacy sequel to a movie from the 80s. I'm going regardless. I, like, I love yeah. Tom Cruise, oh, despite him being kind of wacky and goofy. Mm. But then seeing that movie in the theater and being like, holy shit, they... They did something. And I they mean, did I, it. And I then don't... you see the opening weekend numbers, and I was like, people were clamoring for a Top Gun sequel? Okay. And then I was expecting drop-off, and there wasn't drop-off. No, I mean... I don't love Top Gun as much as other people. I still really enjoy it because I think it does everything right. It's got a sense of, hey, remember what movies used to be? Um, and when I went back to visit my parents, I took dad to go see Top Gun because I knew that he would. He does. He still thinks Tom Cruise is a show off. I'm like, actually, you're right, dad. But he still enjoyed That's it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And you, <laughs> you can take, you will. I mean, I did not think I would want to go back to see Top Gun, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take my dad because I think he's actually going to enjoy this movie this is the kind of movie he used to take me to when i was a kid so let's go see top gun me and, and my mother-in-law had to drag my wife because me <laughs> and my mother-in-law like as soon as the trailer dropped i texted it to her and i was like are we going to this and she goes you're damn right we're going and my wife kind of shrugs and she goes what really and i'm like babe we're dragging you to this yeah like or i just have a movie date with my mother-in-law because we're going to this movie yeah i still remember titanic my both my parents came in the first time i think because my dad wanted to see it because he's a big Cameron fan. He's really excited to see. He might not, they might not get to see it till after New Year, but that's kind of how 
people are already going, I'm just going to see this movie. He might have to drag one of the grandkids because um, mum, he, he said, oh, we're going to take your mother. And mum was like, me? Avatar? No. I'm like, you like Titanic. <laughs> She's like, it's got some Titanic stuff going on in there. It's on water. She's like, mm, no. Um, but dad wants to see it in 3D. And so he'll probably take one of the grandkids. But it is, it's that kind of same thing. And I do remember my mother being dragged to Titanic because me and dad wanted to see it. So, but yeah, I think people need to stop. And I think you're right. Him and Rennie Harlan had this very similar trajectory except Rennie made two big movies that didn't work for box office wise. I think Long Kiss Goodnight, I think is a movie that has risen up in people's estimation and now people love it. Yeah. Like I put up a, it's so a when I watched now. it, yeah. Oh, when I watched it, I put up a tweet afterwards, like, Oh, this is podcast prep, mm. but you know, and I gave like, Oh, like a Twitter review, you know, you know, yeah. of the 200, you know, 40 characters, it got over 400 likes. And I had people who aren't following me yeah. who were commenting going, oh, my God, thank you. This is such a great movie. It's now become kind of like or not a cult classic, but it's mm. it's a revered action classic now, like 20 years after it was released. Yes. But if it had had the same impact at time of release, I think Rennie Harlan would still be around. I, I, like, I don't think the failure... He would have been making Cutthroat Island would have torpedoed his career, but it was a double whammy of Cutthroat Island and Long Kiss that just kind of torpedoed him. And he came back a little bit on Deep Blue Sea, which was a, I mean, it was a decent enough hit that spawned like all these direct-to-video sequels, but it wasn't a blockbuster. No, it's actually always amazes me how it's not the big blockbuster that kind of spawns all the DTV sequels. It's the modest one. So I think they probably look at more who's renting what. Um, before they make a, a yeah it's always been a weird I've already just noticed it I'm like really RPD gets a sequel um yeah like I'm on IMDB right now yeah and um a deep blue sea only grossed 164 million uh, yeah. worldwide mm-hmm. so it wasn't a massive hit by any stretch of the imagination but he follows that up with the notorious stinker that is driven with Stallone oh yes and I'm looking that movie. And I'm looking that one up, and that one cost almost a hundred million dollars, and worldwide only gross only fifty five. Ooh, yeah. I think if you're an excessive director, I think unless you are James Cameron, like I think he is the exception to every single rule. I think there is a moment where you fall, uh, no matter what, because not everyone is going to go to your excessive, massively big, expensive movie. And that has happened with so many directors. It famously happened with Michael Cimino with um, Heaven's Gate. Uh, um, oh, 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 yeah, a notoriously big, expensive Ooh. bomb. Um, this happens with Rennie Harlan. It happens a lot. It happened more in the 80s and 90s. I think now people, uh, students want to be way more calculating in how they do a big budget, budget movie. Um, but, yeah, I think even Sam Raimi. Even Nolan. A- Nolan. Even Nolan. Yeah, you know, a tenant. I am like Liam O'Donnell. I worship at the Church of Tenant, but him saying that this was the return of cinema and it, it, for all intents and purposes, is a bomb considering yeah. the cost. Yeah, and how many times they had to. That's because he insisted on in releasing it midway through twenty twenty. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I'll read the room. Yeah, like it's. But 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 yeah, oh. you're right. Every director, even the. Even the huge directors. I mean, look at Spielberg. He had it as well. His last couple movies have not done 
Well, at no, the box office. No, there weren't Oscars, which I think is a thing, because I think Steven Spielberg is in his fuck it phase. He just doesn't care anymore. He knows because of who he is, he will get money to make a movie, because at least if it makes no money, it will get awards club. Um, he, and I he, think he had the audacity. I haven't seen the Fablemans yet. I want it's to. So good. It's so good. <laughs> but he it. had the audacity to direct a pseudo memoir of his own life. Mm. Like that's, I mean, I mean, we were talking earlier on arrogance. That's almost kind of arrogant of him. It is so arrogant of him. And it works despite of that, because I think he still has an honest eye of especially how he was as a kid annoying as fuck um but i think that is incredibly arrogant the man remade west side story which is already considered one of the greatest movies ever made which which is one of the few spielberg movies i still haven't seen because i have such amazing memories of being in the sixth grade mm. sorry if i'm going a little bit of a tangent please i had a teacher in the sixth uh sixth grade yes in yeah. the sixth grade who every friday if we had done well as a class in terms of tests and homework and everything, he would show us a classic movie. Yeah. On Friday afternoons, like he would time it out after our lunch break is, oh, we wouldn't have any more schoolwork. He would show us a classic movie. That's where I saw um, like a ton of Hitchcock way before I should have. She would show (laughs) us these old old classic movies and one yeah. of the movies he showed us is west side story and i remember being like because i'd never seen a musical at that point outside mm. of like outside of all the disney animated yeah you were seeing a west side story in the sixth grade i was like whoa yeah this is special mm. and the trailers of the remake look great and it's oh. spielberg but i'm like i I don't want to tarnish of that memory that I have of this teacher that was very influential in my love of film. Cause at the time I just been watching action movies, but he introduced me to Hitchcock and all the classic musicals and stuff like that. Like, I don't want to mm. like, like I don't want the, oh, the taint of oh, the magic of that memory that I have. Cause I still think of this teacher. Yeah. Mr. Bamer. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people have. I think a lot of it is like, why are they making an old, why is he remaking an old movie? No one cares about No, West Side Story still impacts a lot of people. It's a special movie to them. So to try and, and this isn't, it's, it was also a stage play. It's Stephen Sondheim. It's got all these kind of things to it. So yeah, I mean, I like it a lot. Um, I don't think it, I mean, I think there are some moments that beat the original, but I think overall the original still beats this one. But yeah, he's just like, I don't care anymore. Just, I'm going to be excessive. I'm going to be arrogant. I'm just going to make the movies I want because I'm Steven Spielberg. And that feels weird. I mean, he's done, he's fallen a few times. I mean, this is a man who made Jaws, Raiders. Um, I'm forgetting there's a movie, uh, Close Encounters, and then makes 1941. And it, oh. and it yeah. was like going, oh no, the Wonder Kid fall, fallen. Can he get back up again? He did. And then the late 80s and early 90s, he was falling again. I mean, when he made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, he was kind of considered on his way out. Like, this was kind of like his big, oh, people, you think I'm I'm down? Mm, wait to see my dinosaur movie. The year I made my Holocaust Oscar-winning movie. Um, and and, and then saying, he okay. goes, you know, and then he goes on to Saving Private Ryan, yeah. but then he follows that up with Amistad. Yes, again, bombed. Like, people were like, okay, we can only handle your prestige to a certain point. And he just keeps making, pres- I mean, yeah, Steven Spielberg again is in that James Cameron thing of just like, he's got such enough clout and enough blank checks that 
people are still going to say yes to him like Martin Scorsese, even though he does have to go to Netflix to make because people are like, we're not going to give you $300 million to make The Irishman. And he's like, Netflix will. Um, but yeah, it's that kind of thing. But there are certain excesses that will destroy, destroy. And unless you are like Steven Spielberg or James Cameron, you will get up because I think The Abyss was considered a flop, weirdly. Or James Cameron considered his flop because he didn't get to make the movie he wanted to make. Um, but even yeah. two lies. Yeah, because that makes cost way too much money. Where did the money go on that movie? And I like yeah, two lies. Like, I like two lies a lot. I mean, it hasn't aged well. Sorry no. for no. All of your Muslim listeners, because that movie is highly offensive now. Oh, and yeah, and I was last time I talked about it, I was talking about Jamie Lee Curtis, and I forgot. Yeah, but then I forgot how racist that movie is. <laughs> but, Jesus but, Christ. But also, it like, I forgot. It was a tweet recently talking about um, oh true lies and the fact that you know the infamous scene of Jamie Lee in her underwear dancing is mm. terrible now. Yes, you like if you look at it, it is he, he's lying to his wife, he's tricking her, he's exploiting. This her. is mm. this is very very bad, mm. very 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 bad. But that movie cost a hundred million dollars back in the day. Yeah, and I remember it like it being a hit, but it wasn't a James Cameron level yes. hit yeah yeah and i remember that too and i think that movie has disappeared a little bit because it hasn't aged as well as other movies um and yeah i mean i still love that movie but yeah i have to look at that and go oh boy um but yeah but we we'll go back to Rennie. i think it's just purely because he, his movies weren't making money and this is a guy who needs to work on a big scale even going back to elm street 4 he wanted to do so much but he just didn't have the money to because the money was just being pulled away from him these movies he was able to have, kind of get the creative control and then people just didn't go see them and they're like students are like well why would we give you money lots of money yeah because because then afterwards i mean i was just looking at the filmography again he goes from Driven out of Mindhunters, which, if memory serves, is one of those one that oh, it sat on the shelf for a okay. while. Yeah. And then he did oh, The Exorcist. Oh, the yes. Prequel, yes. Which was oh, notoriously oh, they shot one movie that was really, really bad. Yeah. So then. I've seen both of them. I would say, actually, I kind of prefer the Paul Schrader, but I can see why studios looked at that movie and went, what the fuck? No is way. This? <laughs> and so then they brought it. What I'm really hard to shoot 80% of it. Like he he recast actors. He yeah, that was and, and then, then it bombed. And then yep. they released the other version. It bombed as well. Yeah. And then he goes from that out of the covenant and then starts making just a lot of TV. He does yeah. uh, 12 rounds of a John Cena, which is before of the John Cena that we have now, where he was he was doing that thing that every wrestler does where they make the action movies that are like really like and they're low-grade action movies. Yeah, yeah. It's just trying and, to break into the thing to see if they can actually do it or not, and then they can... Then you realize that John Cena is actually one of the funniest guys in, in movies. And then he does, like, a series of... Like, a whole mess of TV series, mm. like, you know, episodes. And then he does that poor... Oh, The Legend of Hercules movie with... Um, um, oh, that's right, because it was two Hercules movies that came out at the same time. Um, he did... He did... Oh, the Kellen Lutz one with Scott Atkins. Oh, yes. I don't want to still haven't seen. I've seen the other one, but I haven't seen that one yet. So I agree with the Atkins Undisputed episode where the mm. movie's not great. Mm. But Scott 
is delivering a performance for the ages in that one. That's usually what happens with Scott, a lot of Scott Atkins movies. He's, he's, he's the bad guy and he's having a fucking ball. Yeah. He is, he is chewing the scenery like he's getting paid for it. Like yeah. it's a part of his diet. Like yeah. he is, he is going broke. Mm. And then sadly, after that, he does, um, oh, that Johnny Knoxville movie. Oh, oh, with Jackie Chan. Oh, Skip Trace, which is terrible. I have not heard of that. What the hell is that? In 2016, he did, he did a movie oh, with Johnny Knoxville and Jackie Chan, and it is frankly not good. Okay. Um, oh, it's got even Fan Bingbing in it. Um, in theory, this could be interesting pairing those two together, um, but I have not seen it. And it, yeah, you're right. If you're saying it's terrible, then I'm like, oof. But the the it's interesting in theory. Yeah. See, but again, imagine if a long kiss and cutthroat had hit. Oh my god, it would just be a completely different landscape. I mean, yeah, he might get have gotten pulled into the DC or Marvel thing, but um, he still would but, be making. He used to be with working. His- yeah, but with his eye for excess, oh, look at what Sam Raimi was able to do on Doctor Strange. Yes, a movie Imagine I don't love, it, but those moments are perfect. What if what what if Rennie Harlan had directed a Doctor Strange movie, or even an anything movie? Um, like, you're right. I think the excess. Like if he had done a Marvel it. movie, his style and his level of excess, I think, would have come through. Even. Even being in the Marvel machine, mm. oh, Sam Raimi was able to show he's still fucking Sam Raimi mm. in Doctor Strange, which yeah. which I think is a flawed sequel. But oh, there's moments in that movie where I was giggling like a fucking teenage boy because I was like Sam Raimi. Oh, a demon cape. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like, it. <laughs> it's like, there like, he is. <laughs> like, if Randy Harlan was able to return to his horror roots from Elm Street, Elm Street, and inject that into the MCU mm. or something like that, I mean, I think he would be looked at way fondly than he actually is now. Even yes. though in our action Twitter circle, of Randy Harlan is a name that earns respect. You know, oh. like you talk about Randy Harlan and you're like, oh no, he can fucking shoot an action movie. Oh no, that's what I love about action Twitter is that they will treat certain directors like a horror Twitter will treat certain horror directors. Like everyone yes. else will yes. say, oh, that's dumb. That was silly. I don't like it. But they'll go, actually, no, this guy is amazing. Like Steve Miner, he's fantastic. He knows what he's doing. Action Twitter, will you say the name Randy Harlan, they're like, I love Rennie Harlan. Fucking love him. Yeah. He knows how to direct action. He he's he's great. So when you're talking to the right circle of people who sort of know what they're talking about with um a certain genre, yes, Rennie Harney Rennie Harlan will always have certain standing. Um, which I think is great because that means movies like this, uh, Long Kiss, uh, Cliffhanger, um, even uh, Cutthroat Island, um, are still gonna have, um. It's still going to have it, their fans are still going to keep being brought up over and over again. So when you do bring mm-hmm. up, hey, I'm watching Long Kiss Goodnight, everyone's like, yes, I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm telling you, oh, my tweet blew up. Yeah. And it was people who were quote tweeting me that I've never seen before going like, oh, I love this movie. So many people in my replies were all responding with all their favorite Sam Jackson lines. Like it was, there's was just one of those tweets where I was like, this is what happens when a movie that I love is loved by a lot of other people that I didn't know about. Yes, and, and that's always I, a good feeling. You're like, oh, this thing is actually beloved, which this movie I, is. 
I knew in action Twitter, oh, Long Kiss is held in high regard because, mm-hmm. I mean, I came into action Twitter oh, because of Mike Scott. Yeah. And then I found all these like-minded people oh, like you who are like, oh, wait, 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 action movies rule. And I'm like, yes, they do rule. I didn't know that you guys exist. And then talking of Long Kiss and everyone going like, oh, man, I love them. He was like, what, you do? Because mm. I hadn't found anybody who loved a Long Kiss Goodnight or like action Twitter before. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. I'm not alone in praising this movie that has some of the best one-liners in action cinema history. Oh, my God. I just, I, all week, all this, two weeks, I've just been quoting, um, uh, you know, I took lessons. I just, this movie is so well-written. And every actor in it just gives it their all. Um yeah, so I wish Craig uh, had, uh, Burko had, be, had become a bigger star after this because he is so smilingly charismatic. Yes, but it didn't. But we still fucking get a great Samuel L. Jackson performance. And, I mean, the man has done so, so much. And Gina Davis has done so many roles. And these are the ones that still stand out. It's just like, yeah, it's a special movie. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about it quickly before we leave on? Because I feel like I've taken up a lot of your time. But it's no, don't. No, don't worry. I've been looking forward to this ever since we set it up. I feel bad. I delayed it a week. Um, it was worth it. Yeah. yeah. I I could not wait today. Like I woke up, I went to the gym and I was like, okay, so I have some stuff to knock out because I'm recording today. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk about these movies. I've heard from Andy um and mike and everyone in action twitter you like dude you are going to be spoiled by Lindsay. she's a great host and i couldn't agree more this was a blast thank you for having me oh thank you so much for coming on i was kind of after uh, talking to andy a couple of times i was like i should get chris on i just gotta find the right thing and then when everyone in that discord said oh no chris loves long kiss goodnight i'm like oh excellent <laughs> yeah just totally work i will talk about this movie any day of the week Oh, it is absolutely brilliant. I can't wait to have you on again at some point as well. Oh, please, um, please. I would be honored. I would be honored. Yeah. Um, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at gingerdome81. Uh, I just tweet about movies uh, and video games um, and comic books. Um, I also tweet a lot about my wife. Sorry, guys. Uh, in my defense, I am a newlywed at time of recording. I've only been married only two months. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I like I would appraise all of her artwork. And then oh. and then I'm always a part of action Twitter. Um, yes. You know, like I watch a lot of action movies, but I also watch a, like a lot of fantasy stuff. Um, a lot of Star Wars. I mean, that's kind of my brand is I'm known <laughs> as the Star Wars guy. But yeah. I'm also known as um, are the tactical a consultant of action Twitter um, mm. or the fact that I am former military. I kind of, I picked that stuff apart in movies. So like um, any our directors or writers that are listening, if you need help on your tactical work, I am, I am available. He knows what he's talking about. I, um, I'd like to think so. Um, I think I get praised a little, Oh, too highly. I remember <laughs> oh, the Mike Scott, he called me oh, the expert of, of tactical action. I was like, whoa, whoa, slow down. <laughs> slow down. I'm not the expert. I'm a consultant. I'm a consultant. <laughs> no, you're a great follower. You're always positive. Um, 
always really nice. It's definitely worth worth a follow. Um, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was a really blast. I finally got a chance to actually talk and meet. This was absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, this was awesome. Uh, so awesome. Um, yeah, you can follow um, Shock and All, Shock and All One, Twitter, Instagram, whichever is running, I guess, uh, social media at the moment. Um, <laughs> you can also follow me, Reading Geek, on Twitter, and the podcast is pretty much on every single app you can possibly find. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute wonderful blast. Um, and yeah, we will be back with another double feature. All right. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.